Welcome to Living the Dream with Ben and Rodney. Here's your host, Ben Wilson. Good morning. Welcome to another episode of Living the Dream with Ben and Rodney. I'm your host, Ben Wilson, and my bulldog, Rodney, is beside me as usual. The month of March is Love Your Lawyer Month in the show because, believe it or not, folks, lawyers need love, too. And frankly, we're the Rodney Dangerfields of the professional world when it comes to love and respect. So today we're continuing our theme of Love Your Lawyer Month, and I'm pleased to be joined by my friend and top lawyer, Jay Vaughn from the Hindi Johnson Vaughn Emory Law Firm in Louisville, Kentucky, as Jay shares some great stories about his legal career and provides some great insight and perspective into the legal profession. Jay and I met in college at Murray State University in the late 1990s, and following our graduation from Murray State in 1999, we both went to law school, and Jay is now a partner at the Hindi Johnson Vaughn Emory Law Firm in Louisville, where he focuses his practice on personal injury matters relating to car and truck crashes and wrongful death cases. Jay has received the highest of ratings in top legal publications, such as Martindale Hubble with an AV rating, which means he's really good, and Super Lawyers. And he's also a board certified lawyer in truck accident law by the National Board of Trial Advocacy. You can learn more about Jay's practice online at www. JusticeStartsHere.com, and there's also going to be a link to that in our show notes. So please welcome my friend Jay Vaughn to Living the Dream with Ben and Rodney. Jay, thanks so much for coming on the show. Ben, I'm glad to be here, man. I'm excited and, uh, you know, haven't seen you in several years. I'm glad you asked me to do this. It's, uh, it's, it's, it's going to be fun. Yeah, I guess the last time I saw you, you and your wife made a trip to Miami, and uh, you went to uh, an event that I was I was involved in. So I guess that's been, gosh, seven or eight years ago at least. Yeah. And, and it was some, some party in some, you know, rooftop of some place with uh, a bunch of pretty people. And uh, it was, it was fun to be included. And, and I, I remember we got a really good photo that night from the photographer, um, yeah. you know, so yeah, that was, that was a fun night. That was a fun yeah, trip. We fit I think that was my wife's birthday trip. That's right. That's right. Y'all were staying in a hotel on Miami Beach. Yeah, we stayed at uh, SLS. That place is a little, a little wild. <laughs> oh, yeah. So that's when the SLS had just opened. So, yeah, it was a lot of action going on there. <clears throat> yes. Well, thanks so much for coming on the show. I appreciate it. And, um, you know, we met at Murray State University in Western Kentucky, and um, we were in the same class. We graduated together in 1999 and knew each other from sports and other um organizations. So before we start talking about being a lawyer, share about your times at Murray State and what are your favorite memories from attending Murray State? You know, Murray State, it's a, it's an interesting story because, you know, I, I, you know, grew up in northern Kentucky near Cincinnati and went to high school up there. And you know, I remember when I was looking at colleges, um, you know, I was trying to figure out where to go. And I didn't want to do Moorhead because that's where my sister went. I didn't want to do UK, U of L. They were too big. I remember I looked at some schools, actually, I looked at a school in Nashville, and on the way back, um, my mom made me stop at Murray State. We had a appointment scheduled at Murray State, and I wanted to cancel it, um, but my mom made me stop there, and I was, you know, being immature and kicking and screaming, you know, like a little kid saying no, and I remember the moment I literally put my feet on the campus and saw how gorgeous the campus was, and all of a sudden, you know, I see some students coming through and and some, you know, and how pretty the girls were, I'm like, this is a really, really good option. And I remember I took, I took the tour and uh, ended up really falling in love with it. And I remember I came back and no one from my high school, at least in recent years, had gone. Um, 
And I remember that ended up having a, a guy in my class who wanted to take a college visit, you know, and, and, and I, and I remember I, his name is Steve Redlinger. We had become, Oh, I remember brothers. him. Yeah. yeah. We had become fraternity brothers, but I remember we're in class and I'm like, and there's a girl I was dating at the time in high school and her friend. And like, they want to go look at Murray state and like, Hey, why don't we just go? And Steve, I say, Steve, you want to go? He goes, do I get excused from school? I go, yeah. He goes, yeah, sure. Why not? So I remember we're on campus. We're down there for the weekend. We get like some, some, some of our chaperones or, or you know, the student advisors ever take us some parties. Like we had a really good time. And I remember, I'll never forget Steve's one morning before we're leaving, he's walking on the, on the, on the cross walkway, you know, between the dorms and, and like car health or, yeah. or the, 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 the food area. Yep. Yeah. And I remember uh, he just stops and he looks, he goes, yeah, I guess I could go here. <laughs> That was his college decision. We ended up rooming in college and becoming fraternity <laughs> brothers. And but it was just hilarious. Like he only went because he got excused from school. And he's down there, like, yeah, I guess I could go here. You know, for me, I liked it because it was, you know, it, it was obviously a time zone change, right? From northern Kentucky down to West right. down to Murray. Right. Um, and it was 330 miles. So it was a four and a half hour, five hour drive depending on traffic, meaning my parents couldn't just pop in, right? They had to call and plan the trip. <laughs> So it was great. It was great. Like I had that buffer of the time zone and like, that's a big trip. I'll have to make sure I'm not busy. So, um, so that's the beginning of the story. Right. But Murray state was awesome, Ben. I, I mean, I, I got some stories to tell, um, you know, uh, I, you know, I remember rushing, you know, I, you know, Lambda Chi Alpha and my memory is that you did the rush you looked at fraternities. I think we get, you got a bid, but yeah. you decided you're friends with so many people and so many fraternities, you didn't want to hurt anyone's feelings. So you just wanted to be neutral and just be everyone's friend. Is that a right, Mary? That, that is exactly right. I I did the rush. I guess it was my junior year. Yep. And because um, I knew a lot of the land, because of course I knew you before that. Uh, Brian Faith was yep. a good friend of mine because Brian and I went to high school at Marshall County. And I, of course, knew Todd Earwood and um, Sean Smee from um, – um, student government SGA because Todd was president and Sean was vice president. Gosh, I mean, I knew Chris, I knew a bunch of Todd Johnson, I knew Steve, Steve Redlinger. So I knew a lot of the Lambda Chi's. My roommate was uh, Alpha Sigma Phi. I knew a lot of the Pikes. There was actually another Ben Wilson who was a Pike. He and I got (laughs) confused a lot. (laughs) Luckily he didn't get any trouble or anything, but it was kind of funny, but I was so busy at that time i didn't really have time to go to too many of the rush things and i did think about that and i was like you know i knew so many people and i was like i didn't want to like make anyone mad and i still got invited to the parties and stuff and i had some good friends at heart so i made that call but i have thought over the years i'm like you know maybe i should have because there's a different experience and back in the day when we were at murray state you know that's when you could have the good fraternity parties and stuff and that's changed for sure but yeah you know and we also were because i was uh I forgot what the title was. Was it Senator? Like I was in student government for like the college of, I think business or community organization for communication. So like whatever, whatever that title was, where I was like in student government, you know, I remember, yeah. you know, we, we did that. And I remember when Todd was president, but, um, but, you know, I, I did the land guy thing, but the neat, the, the interesting thing was I'll never forget it is, you know, it's my freshman year, first semester and we're in Richmond hall, which was, you know, the all male dorm. And, you know, on one of the RAs there was Mark Trout. Um, oh yeah, I remember Mark. And, I mean, who now works for he now works for the Secret Service. But you know, um, but Mark was Lambda Chi and got and recruited. You know, we had like twelve people that ended up 
you know, being going and, and, and being admitted, you know, to, to Lambda Chi in spring of 96, we had a huge, we had 26 that got initiated that year, but like 12 or 13 were from Richmond Hall and Mark recruited all of us. So I remember I'm, you know, cause remember at Murray at the time, you couldn't, at the time you couldn't rush in the fall. They ended up changing right. it. Couldn't rush in the fall. Oh, they the first semester. Yeah. So I, I remember that I'm still going to Lambda Chi house. I remember, you know, people pulling couches out and sitting in the front yard, you know, um, watching cars drive by and we're drinking beer and I'm, you know, I'm 18 going, this doesn't, are we allowed to do this? They're like, oh, don't worry about it. I'm like, <laughs> I'm like, I think I know where I'm going. So I did, you know, it's funny. When I make my mind up, I make my mind up and I, I don't change. I don't waver. And it, it's, it's funny. I only applied to one college, Murrayston. You know, I only um, uh, rushed one fraternity, you know, Lambda Chi. I only applied to one law school, Nord- Chase, Northern Tech University. And we'll get in that story later. Like I just, I just knew, I just know what I want. And, and I went with it, but Lambda Chi was, was a blast, you know, um, Thursday and, night parties, right? Every, every Thursday night. Yeah. Yep. You know, every Thursday night, you know, it was Lambda Chi. Um, my, my memory is Wednesday night was Pike. Um, yep. Friday night was Sigma Chi. Tuesday and Saturday was ATO. And of course we shared the fence line with ATOs and it was, you know, I was never, I was never a fighter, but I mean, there was always like fist fights and like, oh, there, were. Blood, there was blood spill. There was a guy yanking through a window. There was, I mean, there was, yeah, there was, real fights, you know, wow. and uh, one of our attorney brothers who was president, he was president at the time, um, saw a pike or a HEO like grab or either smack his girlfriend or knock her to the ground or something. And he took off running and beat the living. Wow. Guy. Yeah. But like, you know, so like there was a lot of, I mean, I was never in that cause I've just, listen, I've never punched anyone in my life. And I was, you know, I never lived at the house. I was always, you know, it was kind of a, rite of passage, I guess. And, and that, you know, when you look at regrets, like, should I have lived at the fraternity house? I probably should have a semester, but my standards were just too high. I mean, it was, a, it was, <laughs> it a was yeah. Uh, dude, I mean, the parties were fun, but like, you'd look at those rooms and I mean, dude, it's, it was a dump. <laughs> yeah. I had some friends that lived over there and they invited me over a few times and I was like, uh, yeah, kind of like my setup in Hart Hall. Yeah. I mean, you know, um, but some other memories of Murray State outside of, you know, fraternity stuff. And I mean, my whole identity was that. And I still a couple of my closest friends to this day are my fraternity brothers. And, and yep. it gave me confidence. You know, I had some I mean, you know, I, I mean, it, it gave me a lot of confidence. It, it helped me, I, I think, push in some of the areas I got into um, have some regrets. And we'll talk about later, you know, what would you, you know, I think there's in the show notes. We'll, we'll get some stuff about what I'd tell my college self now. But yeah. other memories of Murray State, um, one was, um, you know, I, I always played basketball. I played basketball in high school. Mm-hmm. I mean, I wasn't good enough to play D1, so I didn't play, you know, I, I didn't I didn't, you know, try to walk on. But I always – so my whole – my memory of college was enough, you know, class and then basketball and then going to parties. Mm-hmm. And for basketball, I mean – Sunday night was our fraternity party, so I didn't play on Sunday nights. But I played literally Monday night, Tuesday night, Wednesday night, Thursday night before the parties. Yep. And then I'd play on Saturday um, more early, you know, and we, we'd be there at North Gym and, you know, in Car Health um, playing pickup for – and I'm not saying I'd go and play for – I mean, I'd play for two, three hours. Yeah. And got to the point where – do you remember um, – uh, Rob, um, why am I forgetting Rob's last name? 
redhead guy that helped assistant coach of the, 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 the women's team. Uh, Rob Cross. Thank you. Um, I started playing with Rob and yeah. Rob introduced me to some guys. Next thing you know, it got to where we had this group of guys that were really good players. Um, uh, Q, who used to play for Murray State, who seven yeah, would come out and play. KT, you know, would come out and play. PJ um, would come out and play. And, and, and we have and we had a guy named Dario who was in grad school at Murray State, but he played two years for Iowa State. And oh. he played on like the Panama national team. And I, don't know if I remember it, him. I remember uh, there was a, a professor named Doc had yep. a beard, and I yeah. mean, he was a heck of a shooter. Yeah, oh, I remember Doc. And he got yeah, a lot of that. I remember playing with Doc. Um, but we had all these guys that would play and had a guy that would that played it. Well, the guy at Murray, um, uh, uh, Bug, uh, James Foster, right? He, oh. he worked at Murray High School. Man, he was a great player. Oh, yeah. So we had all these guys, guys that you play at University Heights. So we got it, but we ended up getting a group, a pretty solid group. We had about with 10 of us or 12 of us. And um, the janitor at the time was Reg. Uh, yes, Reginald. big guy. And, yeah, big heavy set guy. And he led us down because of obviously, you know, Rob's connections. He led us down on Racer Arena. And we could go down there on like Thursday or Thursday nights. And it was literally only us were allowed to play. I mean, so I got to play on Racer Arena for a solid two years mm. and people would come down to play and Reg would be like, you're not allowed down here. You can watch only these guys can play. Oh, wow. and, and we had the best games and, 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 you know, so I'm playing with seven footers. I'm playing with six, six, six guys. I can't, I'm five. You know, I'm barely six foot. I can't, you know, I could, could I, could I jump and grab the rim? Yeah. But that was about it. You know, I could shoot. That's it. I could just shoot the ball. Yeah. So well, you had a good handle on you. You had a good handle. If I remember. Yeah, I was I was always a guard, but my best memory. So getting to the, you know, my I'm sitting there like, what's my, my favorite memory? It was a it was a it was a game where it was me. It was uh, the guy, the, the backup point guard from Murray State. Uh, I think it was PJ was his name, um, and then it was um, uh, a, 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 a guy that was like six three six four named Mike Stubblefield. He was from somewhere in Western Kentucky, and then it was um, uh, this guy named Wayne. Maxie, who played at University Heights, and another guy named TJ. And I forgot TJ's last name. He played at University Heights. Yeah. We had four guards. We were either 5'11 or shorter. And then Mike Stubblefield, who was like 6'4, 6'3. And we played against KT, who started point guard for Murray State for a couple of years. And then there were um, uh, Chad Townsend. Remember Chad? Yep. Yeah. Point guard. Um, and then three Prop 48 guys that were all, one guy was named Isaac, one, Isaac and they Spencer. were all. Rod yes, Murray, and they were um, all six, you know, six, six, three to six, six. Yeah. I remember we played full court and we were playing to like, I, I think we were playing to like 12. And I'll never forget, it's it's tie game, next point wins. And I get the ball and I'm on the right wing and I'm backing in. I forgot who I was backing in. And I remember everyone's yelling at me, pass it, pass it, pass it. And I had this little move where I would – spin baseline um i put the ball in my right hand but my left hand i i'd illegally hook them i would i would just so whoever's guarding me i hooked them i get around them and then i go up in the air now my right shoulder is going towards the rim and with my left hand i just kind of hook teardrop it over one of the prop 48 guys i think it was isaac who was like six six or ike and it it the ball went over his fingertips within the net game winner 
And the guy Wayne from that that played at University Heights starts running around going, "We just beat Murray State! We just beat Murray State!" And it was like to this day, like my favorite shot I've ever made in my life. And they're all telling me to pass it, and and I'm like, "No, I'm taking this guy baseline and and hoping a prayer." And that's my favorite memory on race arena beating five guys that played played deep one ball. <laughs> yeah, no, I well, I tell you what, I had a lot of memories from Car Health and of course Racer Arena too. I mean. I've been to a lot of Kentucky Wildcat games. I mean, Rupp Arena is a very special place to go. But those games at Racer Arena were amazing. I mean, you had a 55-seat capacity arena. You were looking down on the crowd. It was intimidating. When they switched to the um, the RSEC, which I forgot what it's called now, but the atmosphere just wasn't the same. Now, I know they had a good atmosphere, especially when John Morant was there and Murray's always drawn. But those games at Racer Arena were just awesome. And we had good oh, teams. I mean, it was, it was, it was the intimidation factor was crazy because yeah. the fans were right there on the floor and it was so loud. And when we were playing, you awesome know, when we were, when Marcus Brown, I remember, you know, my, our freshman year was Marcus Brown's last year. And yeah. we were there yelling and Bubba Wells is there taking the ball out and stuff. And we're, I mean, we're yelling at, and there was two guys that play NBA that, I mean, that, we're right there to see it. And it was, a, it was a shame. I mean, I understand getting a bigger arena, but I remember the first game in there, it was just like, man, this is cold. This is just so removed and just so yeah. robotic now. And so I tell you that the, 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 the one thing that current Murray state fans will never understand their students is, is a game in racer arena. I mean, yeah. yeah standing room only in there, oh. people along the back, I mean, they'd have have to open those doors just to get some breeze in there. Because I mean, and the games would be like in January, but I mean, it was hot. But oh, there were some good hot. teams there too. You had, like you said, Marcus Brown, Vincent Rainey. Yeah. Um, when Austin P came with Bubba Wells, that was a big game. I mean, it was it was a lot of fun. Oh, it was great, man. I mean, it was it was great. It it, it was absolutely fantastic. And and you know, I'll never forget that year. I'll never forget that because that was the year that. Um, that we um um it because quint knuckles was was the center and i remember that was the year we played louisville at louisville had a chance to win and i don't remember quentin got the ball on the rebound i think he walked or he called a timeout he did something it was like so close like we almost beat louisville at louisville um but we made the tournament that year and i remember i called into a local radio show in cincinnati uh i think lance McAllister, he's still a sports a radio guy up in Cincinnati and does some national stuff. And I remember I called into a show because it was, we got the eight seed. I'll never forget that. We got the number eight seed um, and we were playing the 16 seed. Oh, no, no, no. We played the nine seed. We got the eight seed. We played the nine seed. It was Rhode Island. And I remember I called in, the only time I ever called in a sports show saying, hey, I, I'm, I'm at Murray State. And I'm like, that team with Marcus Brown, I'm like, you know, we're, I'm telling you, you all need to watch out. We almost beat Louisville at Louisville. And that was the year that um, Rhode Island had Lamar Odom and that little point guard. I forgot the point guard's name. DJ Wheeler. Yes. Coutinho Mob- was Coutinho and Mobley? I don't know. No, Mobley played. I thought Mobley played at um, UMass, but maybe I I'm know wrong. TJ Wheeler was one of their point guards. Wheeler. And, and, and I mean, they killed us. Like, I mean, it was, and that was the last time Murray State will ever get a single digit seed. Cause I mean, we got smoked. It was like 30. I mean, it was a, it was. <laughs> It was Jim Herrick was the coach, I think. At the time. I think that might have been the year that um, we were seniors, and that was with Isaac Spencer and Rod Murray. You think uh, that was that year? I think it was that okay. year. Okay, I thought it was the year that – okay, I thought it was the yeah. year that uh, – I could be wrong, but I, I remember playing Rhode Island. I remember that. Yeah. 
Because I think it was like that team with Isaac Spencer, Rod Murray, Aubrey Reese. That was it could have been team. that year. It, you're we right. were very fortunate. We had some good basketball oh teams, a football team. Absolutely. Teams. I was like, and, and I was an engineering major, which I was like, you know, if I had to do that again, I don't know that I would, even though I use it in practice. But it's like, I was so busy with that. And the intramural sports at Murray State were awesome, too, because you oh. played on my heart basketball team. I was the athletic director for heart, putting the flight yep. football and basketball teams together in softball. And I was like, dang, that's another reason why I didn't have time to join a fraternity. I'm like, I got my buddies who are like on my floor and we played all the sports together. But I mean, that was intense. I could go back and do that right now. Oh, the intramural sports were, I mean, I only did basketball. I never, I never grew up playing baseball. So I never did softball. I never played football. I remember I went out for the, you know, the Lambda Chi flag football team. I was put on the B team and I played like one or two games and I realized how I was just terrible. I mean, it's just, let's just call it what it is. I was just, I was not a football player. Um, and, uh, um, you know, and I was never, I, I remember I did one practice, uh, for softball and you know when I missed the ball in the outfield and couldn't throw it in I'm like I'm not I, I just stuck with basketball I wish I played I, you know one regret you know I, I played high school tennis um I was better at tennis than basketball I mean I, I was number one I was the number one player in my high school tennis from eighth grade on and um so I played you know number one singles number one doubles all from middle school through high school and then I quit after my junior year, because the coach was bad, and I, I just got I got sideways with the coach, um, and I didn't play tennis again until about three years ago. Um, I regret not playing tennis in college. Um, I mean, like Aaron Merrill's, um, because yeah. you know, I mean, I know I would have done pretty well. Um, so that that's something I, I wish I did. But I, I remember, uh, you know, I remember going out and watching that at my buddy from high school, uh, who was now student fighting, Josh Haynes. Um, I talked to Josh last week. I'm so. Oh, so, really? I remember him. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, we 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 went to school together from seventh grade on. So I mean, yeah. you know, he was be- he was he was uh, um, you know he's best man in my wedding. So I remember uh, uh, he went out and he he didn't do sports in high school really, uh, maybe a little soccer, but he went out. <laughs> I couldn't believe it. You know, he was on the the uh, rugby team. You know, oh, on the very <laughs> rugby team. And I remember, I'm like, what's your position? He's like, I'm the hooker. I'm like, you're what? And I didn't, you know, he's like, there's a position called the hooker. I'm like, that doesn't sound good. No, it doesn't. <laughs> and I went out there watching some some matches going, this is crazy. <laughs> yeah, I, I I had some friends who were on the rugby team, and I was like, yeah, that's not for me. Yeah. And I don't know if you remember, I, uh, for two years, um, I cheered at Murray State. Oh, you did? Yeah, I, I cheered um, on the like on the JV and like the women's basketball, you know, and, and we'd be yeah. out there and because uh, Mickey Hill, who was a friend yeah. brother, he cheered for Murray State and he's like one of these big guys, you know, and I yeah. wasn't that big. And I'm like, I don't know if I can do this stuff. And um, so I did it for two years. And then uh, uh, I mean, I'm getting like, I mean, I got, I got still got scars on my shoulders and my stomach from 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 you know, just injuries. And I hurt my back there. Um, but I remember that what got me to stop was. They put a new rule in that even if you're on the junior varsity cheerleading squad, all men had to tumble. So I remember I'm in the tumbling practice and I had to try to do a standing back tuck. Uh-huh. And I had two <laughs> big guys spotting me. And even with two guys spotting me, I still land on my head. I said, I'm done. <laughs> yeah. See, I was I, one of my good friends, Brian Guess. I mean, he's a friend of oh, yours. Yeah. Oh, oh, yeah, absolutely. He, he was a cheerleader. I, I didn't remember him doing flips, but. I know Brian, Brian can do Brian can do a standing back tuck absolutely okay. yeah and I Brian I texted uh, about because he's in Nashville now and, yeah. and we text about bourbon all the time and uh, 
Um, I've seen, you know, Brian came back to Louisville for a while and was chiropractor here and he got, he and I got reunited and he and I've really stayed in really good touch ever since then. So I love Brian. He's been a guest on the show and we, uh, talked about Motley Crue. I didn't know that. Yep. Yep. We've done a few shows where we talk about classic rock albums. And so Brian was my, oh, my he, special guest for Motley Crue that day. Oh, he's a big, he, he loves, he loves rock, man. He loves oh, country. Oh yeah. Golly. Well, we need to call this show living the dream of about murray state oh my gosh i know it's just bringing back memories man yeah well one one guy from lambda kai i forgot to mention or well, two actually um i mentioned brian um get or brian um faith because i went to school with him at marshall county but ryan harrison y'all called him red he was yep. a member there he's a lawyer now in texas yes and uh one guy that i always enjoyed talking baseball with when you're talking softball was carrie homra he was from tennessee but he was a big st louis cardinal fan like i am and we both had the same favorite player of Willie McGee. So I know he played um, on that softball team. He was good. And uh, we always talk about that. Gary, so I think uh, Lake County, Tennessee, I think is where he's from. So, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, no, absolutely. And, and uh, um, yeah, I remember my – yeah, I have a – statute of limitations has passed, so I'll tell you my favorite red story. My my, my my yeah we won't get anybody in trouble here. My, my favorite red story is we were out at the bar in Paducah with a bunch of us, and I forgot what bar it was, and it was a bar we probably shouldn't have been at. And we're there shooting pool, and this shorter guy comes up to me, and he's got a guy behind him with like a mullet, and the short guy comes up to me, and he's older. I mean, he's you know he was you know looked to be ten years older than I was, could be an older than that, and he's like you know. He's like, you know, I can't believe you're here. And he, he starts yelling at me. And he's like, you know, you 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 stole my wallet. And I'm like, what are you talking about? And he's yelling at me and and the bigger guys behind him. And he's like, you know, he goes, he goes, you go to Murray State? And I go, yeah, yeah. You know, he's like, are you a land of car? I go, yeah. <laughs> he goes, I was at your old house here. Yeah, you know, whatever. A couple weeks ago at a party and, you know, and. And, you know, and, and, you know, and, and you stole my wallet or something like that. I'm like, dude, I don't know what you're talking about. Oh, come on. You're a redhead Lambda Kai. And, you know, he's like, I'm going to kick your ass. I'm sitting there like, I'm like, this doesn't look good. I'm at a bar. These guys are older than me. Like, I'm going to, I'm going to be in the hospital. And he's yelling at me. And I was like, I don't know what you're talking about. Well, I see red over by like the pinball machines or something. He's just kind of like sitting there. And basically, uh, the bouncer comes up and basically says, I've called the cops. You all have, you know, five minutes to get out of here. Like, we ran to the car and we leave. We get back to Turney House. And Red's like, yeah, he goes, I kind of left us or something. And he passed out. And I, or I, I don't know what he, you know, what he did. But but he's like, yeah, that was me. I'm like, dude, you, the guy's about to kick my ass. And you're back here not saying anything. He's like, I didn't want to get my ass kicked. I'm like, it was, you know, all, I guess all us redheads look alike. But I'm like, that's not cool. So, I know. He didn't come to defend you or anything. No, no, no. He stayed back, tucked away in the shadows. And I was like, because he was, I mean, he was at the ball. Red was there. (laughs) Gosh. Oh, yeah. Well, I've had similar instances happen. Not to me personally, but yeah, there's, there are a lot of interesting red stories, but for purposes of not getting anyone in trouble, that will remain a secret. Yeah. Yeah. Overall, he's he's a good guy though. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Absolutely. 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 So, wow, I, I could talk about this all day. <laughs> but uh, but since the theme of the show is Love Your Lawyer Month, what inspired you to be a lawyer? 
You know, it's 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 actually a, a great question. It's something I've talked about. I've told a lot of people about is you know when I started at Murray State, you know, trying to figure out what to major in. I declared early, um, and I was in high school. I was good at math, and I was and I actually took a computer programming class in high school and was good at that. So I started at Murray State as a double major in math and computer science, and I remember I'm in my sophomore year. Um, or I'm in the first semester of my sophomore year, so third semester of college. Um, and, uh, you know, I, I was taking calculus three. So I started, you know, first semester on Calc one, next semester on Calc two, my third semester of college, I'm taking calculus three. All those math classes were always at 8 a.m. or 8.30, and they were either four or five days a week, and it was just brutal. Um, and I could do the work, but I didn't want to do the work because I was out playing basketball and going to parties. And, <laughs> and the computer programming stuff, I mean, you know, it was once I got to like a, a course called Turbo C++, I just, it would be hours of programming. So there was a guy that actually did my freshman orientation with um, that I actually would ask him for his program because he was in the class with me and he gave it to me and I'd tweak it because it's like, I don't want to do the work. Um, but I was sitting there and I remember I was in, I, and I, I, I'll never forget, I was in a, it, this all happened at the same time. So I'm, I'm in Calc 3 one morning and it's the morning after a party. I'm, I mean, I'm hungover. I'm sitting there and the professor would go over the work. And I remember that if you raise your hand, he'd go over the problems. And we were getting, you know, 20 to 35 problems a night. Yeah. Um, and I remember I came in one morning and he's like, anyone have any questions about the homework? I'm getting ready to raise my hand. And the girl in the back raises her hand and asks about, you know, well, I have a question about number 32 part D. And I'm like, I look and I go 30. I was like, that's the word problem. I'm like, what about number one? <laughs> and at that moment, it was like, it was like the, for me, it was like an epiphany or like the matrix, like everything slowed down. I look around going, these are nice people in this class, but I got nothing in common with them. Like, what am I going to do? Do I want to teach math? Do I want to try to work for the department of defense or like, what am I doing? Mm-hmm. At the same time, I was in a public speaking class for Gen Ed um, that Crystal Coel, Professor Coel, you know, in the big auditorium with 140, 160 people. And then we had our small groups yeah. and when we we'd break up into the small groups and give your speeches. And I remember I'm doing a speech in a small group around the same time. And the small group teacher said, you're really good, you know, talking on your feet impromptu. You should go out the, for the forensics team. And I was like, forensics. I'm like, I, I don't want to do crimes. Like, crim- what are you talking about? And she goes, no, forensics is speech and debate. I'm like, oh, my high school didn't have that. So I honestly thought she's talking about like crime scene stuff. Yeah. So she goes, I was like, well, what do I do? She goes, well, you know who teaches the big group, right? Professor Coel said, yes, go talk to her. So I went to her office and said, hey, you know, um, this is my small group professor. First name was Pam. I forgot her last name. Maybe Donahue. I had her too. I had I had Pam. I forgot her name. Uh, I don't know if it was Donahue, but it was Pam. And yeah. she said, she said she'd go out for the team. And she goes, and, and I remember Professor Coel said, well, here in you know next weekend, we have a on-campus debate just for the school why don't you come out and do it and i go okay i remember i go out and the, the guy i went against was will mulligan um his dad was a history professor at murray state and um of course i didn't know what i was doing and i got my ass kicked i was like and will went to professor coel and she's like he's really good he can be good get him on the team next thing i know i'm on the speech and debate team and i now i'm in practice so now in addition to school playing basketball, I'm now having to cut in time to practice speech and debate and, and really learn. So next thing you know, I start learning and I start traveling to tournaments. 
and I'm losing, I'm losing, I'm losing. And then after a while, I'll start winning some. But I'm going to get up against people that have been doing it since high school. And I mean, there are some phenomenal, some phenomenal debaters I went up against. Um, you know, and, and one, um, I never got to go up against him because he graduated was Rob Mattingly, who went to Western Kentucky, who's from Louisville, who's a friend of mine now, who's a fantastic trial lawyer in Louisville. Um, and Rob was national champion. He won nationals. So I start traveling. To, I'm, I'm doing tournaments in Arizona. I'm doing tournaments up in Michigan and we're traveling all over. And, you know, and I, 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 toward the end, there were tournaments where I was qualifying, like you do all these rounds and then they cut it down to like the top eight. And I was breaking, meaning I was making top eight. And then I would lose that first playoff round, but I was making it to the playoffs. Like, you know, yeah. um, so that whole process got me thinking about the law, um, you know, it ended up, you know, and so around, so after a year or so of doing, or the first couple semesters of doing debate, um, first semester, actually, um, I'm sorry. After my first year of doing it, I'm, I, it's right before the summer of my junior, you know, before our junior year of college. So it's, you know, summer of 97. And I'd reached out, my dad had reached out to a friend who's, who's, who was, a, or their son played tennis, but the dad was a lawyer. Mm-hmm. And they, he said, Hey, I got this kid I grew up with, you know, my son grew up with. He's at, he's in college. He thinks he's interested in the law. Don't know what you all do if you ever hired college students, but would you at least talk with them? So they send the interview up and I come in and I meet with them and they hired me as a law clerk. And I'm 20 years old. Um, it's a firm up in Northern Kentucky called Busold Funk Zebley. They're still there. And um, I start working for them on personal injury cases. Oh, wow. Um, and I, I then go pretty much. Every break I had for the next two years of college, I was at that law firm working. Um, I, I didn't go to any spring break. I never went out of town to, to St. South Padre Island or to Florida. Or I would in spring breaks. I'm back. I'm working because um, I was learning. I was like, I'm, I'm, I'm just, I'm, I'm just absorbing this and geeking out over it. Um, and after working there, I realized. I know what I want to do. I'm a, I want to be a personal injury trial lawyer, um, which goes back to when I said I when I make my mind up, make my mind up. And the only and I took the law school you know test, you know the LSAT to get into law school. Um, you know, applied to Chase, the only law school I applied to, got accepted, and went there. And the whole time I'm clerk, I'm at law school, I'm clerking for the same firm. So when I graduated law school, I'd been clerking for Busaw Funk Zevely for five years. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and it was all the this, this stuff I do now. So it was like really intense and niche stuff. Um, but yeah, but it, if that if that small group, if that if, if Pam, the my small group instructor, didn't tell me to go out or suggest to go out for the speech and debate team, I probably would have never been a lawyer. I mean, she's yeah. the one that, that got me to because that got me into the Lincoln Douglas debate, which got me interested in going. I really like this. That's a great story. I, I didn't know that was how you made it to the law. Yeah. And then I changed my major from math, computer science to organizational communications. I went from like a two eight, my major to a four zero because for, for organizational communications, all I had to do was write papers and give speeches. I yeah. mean, you know, and that was, that was, I mean, for me, that was cake. I could sit there and pump out a paper and, and, or, or take notes and go up and give a presentation to a class like that. So mm. it, it opened up more time, you know, but it did take away, you know, the speech and debate took away a lot of time. Um, a regret I have 
is I remember I'm at a speech and debate tournament. I think at Asbury College. I think it was that weekend. And it was like the state tournament or something. So it was a big one. And I was on a scholarship. Murray State put me on a partial scholarship for speech and debate um, uh, my last couple, my last year or, or two years. So I got like a small scholarship. So I had to go. It was the weekend of state where I was out of town when um, Dave Matthews and Tim Reynolds played at Murray State. Remember they did that college tour? Yeah. One yeah, of my biggest true. regrets, I didn't get to go to the concert because I was doing a speech and debate tournament. Yeah. No, I do remember that concert. I think it was at Love Auditorium. Yep. Yep. Well, but think about it this way, though. Uh, Dave, Dave Matthews has still been touring. Maybe yep. you've seen him since then. And, yeah. you know, that also kind of enhanced your career. I think one thing about with Murray State, and, you know, I talk with a lot of kids about if they want to be a lawyer and stuff like that. But one of the things I really liked about Murray State is it was kind of a small, it was a small school, but yet a big school. And I think it's very important when you can get that one-on-one attention like you were with Pam and Dr. Coel, because Dr. Coel was a lawyer. <clears throat> yep. And I just, that's why I always thought it was such a good experience there. And uh, well, that's a great story. So, all right. So, well, my next question, I already know about, well, no. Um, so talk about your practice at the Hindy Johnson Vaughn and Emory firm and what makes that firm stand out uh, from the others in Louisville? You know, it, it's, it, it's interesting. You know, it, it's the journey um, is important to tell. So, you know, I started at Busaw Funk Zeveli. When I graduated law school, they hired me. Um, and, and I worked there for, as a lawyer, almost 10 years. So I was there for about 15 years with them. I and mean, again, they, they hired me in May 97 when I was 20 years old. Um, and, and I left, um, you know, in 2012. And the journey was, um, uh, I was you know, working on a case um, and I, I kind of had this, I, I took a call about this potential case and I knew that if it was a case, I'd have to call this lawyer in Northern Kentucky who, I'm, who I was friends with named Ron Johnson. Mm-hmm. And um, I remember I called Ron and said, hey, we've got this call. Um, there may be something here, but it dealt with a, a defective product, a design flaw that was causing people injuries. And, you know, and I did more at the time, like car wreck and, and, and single event, what we call, but just s- single injury cases. And Ron was really getting named for himself on a, nationally for defective products, defective drugs, things like that. Mm-hmm. So I remember we met, he did some research and we said, hey, we think there's something there. And then we, our firms collaborate on advertising for these cases and we end up getting them. And, and over the course of a couple of years or a year or so, I'm working with him on these cases all the time. And besides being friends and having a common theme of love and bourbon, I'm like, man, it's just, you know, he, he's really getting notoriety and, and he's really on top of things. And, and you know, and, and I think my career path, um, I think I want to work with him. Like, he, we're just such good friends. And I think it'd be a blast. Um, so while these cases are going on, I meet with him and basically meet with his partners and, and decide that, you know, I'm, I'm going to join uh, their firm. And I, and it was emotional when I left my old firm and told them, and it was a lot of tears. Cause I mean, I've known them my whole, I mean, forever. Right. So, um, so we joined and, uh, and it was a niche practice of just doing, you know, either defective drugs, defective products, me doing some injury stuff, trucking and, and wrongful death cases, um, and, and then, and then some, you know, nursing home and like medical neglect, medical negligence cases. Um, and, and all of that led 
um, and I left that firm um, uh, for a couple years. And, and, you know, I think we're going to talk about work-life balance and I'll probably save that for then. And I rejoined in 2018. I came back to Ron and my other partner, Penny Handy, and I kind of had a, um, you know, a moment of, hey, I left you all four years ago, would you take me back? You know, Ron, I still stayed friends the whole time. But I was like, I, I, I made a mistake. I need to come back home. And, and they, you know, just graciously and with open arms said, we'd love to have you back. And we renamed the firm Hendy Johnson Von Emery. We have two offices. So I'm in Louisville with my partner, Ron. And then our main office is up in Northern Kentucky, um, you know, about a mile from Cincinnati. And that's where our managing partner, Penny Hendy, is and another partner, Sarah Emery, and our staff. But our practice is it's really a niche practice. So, I mean, I mainly only do commercial motor vehicle cases. So tractor trailer crashes, bus crashes, dump trucks, things like that, um, and, um, and, and traumatic brain injury. So I'm, 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 an, I'm an officer of a national organization for brain injury uh, work, um, and I'm active and in, in, in on a board of a, of a truck group. Um, you know, you mentioned earlier about me being you know, board certified in truck accident law. It's something that's really important to me because it's, you know, it's not like, you know, you fill out some app, you fill out some form, you pay money, all of a sudden you get some certificate. Like this was an actual test. Longest test I've taken since the bar exam. I took two bar exams, Kentucky and Ohio, where I'm licensed in those states. But I had to study for this test, and it's a accredited board certification through the by the American Bar Association. Mm-hmm. So it's an official board certification. You're there in Florida, and I mean, there's some board certifications recognized in Florida, and it's right. intense. So it, it, you know, it was a six-hour test. I had to study a ton. Um, and uh, that certification became recognized in 2018. And you know, I'm proud to say I'm, I'm, I was one of the first 10 nationally board certified lawyers in truck accident law. Um, you know, we got, we're up to about 40 or 43 in the country now, but I was one of the first 10. Um, and, you know, and it kind of sets me apart as I'm the only board certified truck accident lawyer in Kentucky. Um, and and so, yeah, so, I mean, you know, and I I do truck cases, not just Kentucky and Ohio, but I've done in New York, I've done Nebraska, I've done in Georgia, I have one in Florida now. Um, I've looked at in West Virginia. I mean, I've looked at them all over. Um, and you know, and it's a, it's a special skill to have because they're just different than your regular personal injury case. Um, then my partner, Ron Johnson, uh, has mainly done, um, defective drugs, defective products on a national scale. Um, and just wrapped up, um, there, you know, there's a whole thing going around about low T and like the testosterone supplements and, and, and they were really causing bad injuries and, and deaths and strokes. And, and after, you know, almost seven years of litigation in Chicago, um, you know, just wrap that up um, with, you know, globally, you know, the entire litigation resolved, not just us, but like all lawyers involved. But Ron was the lead lawyer of that with another lawyer from New York and another lawyer from Illinois. There were three of them were like in charge of the whole litigation. I mean, that can resolve for like $330 million. So, I mean, you know, like, so he does that. On, so that's what he's known for. My other partner, Penny Hendy, is mainly um, does medical cases, but she's known for birth trauma. She's a fantastic, you know, it's a sad, sad situation, you know, when, when there's a, 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 you know, a birth case, but she does a lot of birth trauma cases. So, um, so most of the calls we get are from other lawyers sending us one to give us a case or bring us in just because of her expertise. You know, me with the trucking and brain injury and Ron with the um, defective drugs, defective products and penny on the medical cases. Yeah. Wow. That's really interesting. I, cause I mean, I, I've kept up with your career and everything and, but that's really interesting to see what other uh, areas you guys focus on. Cause I hadn't heard about those uh, defective drug cases with uh, the testosterone supplements. Cause you see those on the TV all the time, like with Nugenics or I forgot the name, very interesting stuff. So, yeah. um, you know, you talked earlier about, uh, how you got into the law and working with a personal injury firm. 
what um, what drove you to that area of the law? I mean, you know, I think everything in life, right? Most of the paths we take in life are based upon some, you know, some interaction, some pebble along the way, right? Someone exposes you to something, you have some positive experience or some, you have a negative experience. Me, it was just positive. I mean, I, I mean, my first job was, you know, was clerking for a personal injury firm. And the first day, literally the first day, they'd give me a file, you know, in a red well, and they go, here, look through this and tell us what you think about it. We'll go to lunch. I'm like, okay, so I'm reading police report. I'm, I've never read police report in my life. I'm reading, you know, medical records. I'm, re- I'm looking at photos. I'm looking at all this stuff. And then we go to lunch and they're like, what do you think about it? And I start, we start talking about the case. And then they start pointing out what the law says, what's allowed, what's not allowed, what the defenses are. And, and they're, they're, and they're kind of a rare breed of law firms. Most law firms make law clerks do, you know, BS crap and go get me coffee and, just go file this. They were hands-on. They really taught you to practice law. Mm-hmm. So at 20 years old, they were literally teaching me how to practice law and taking me to court with them, taking me to depositions and taking me to, to hearings and, you know, and say, draft this and I draft something and it'd be awful. And they'd redline it and I'd get back and there'd be more red on it than white of the paper. But it was, but instead they could, could they have just drafted themselves? Sure. Could they have just made the changes, had their secretary of paralegal make the changes? Sure. But they wanted me to see why what I did was so bad and why it was wrong. And so, so after a while, there'd be less red marks and less red marks and less red marks to the point of every now and then my partner, my boss, you know, at the time when I was a law clerk would just try to make a red mark just to, just so it couldn't come back clean. Right. You know, <laughs> Um, Can't let you get too confident. Exactly. You know, but it was a deal where I, I truly learned that I wanted to be a plaintiff's injury trial lawyer. I want to be in front of juries. I want to help people who have been injured through no fault of their own, um, whether it's a, whether it's a car wreck and they've been out of work for six months or, you know, listen, whether they've, they've had, you know, a permanent injury with metal hardware in their body, whether they had an amputation, whether sadly, you know, they lost a parent or a child in a crash. I mean, and it's, mm-hmm. and, and it's, a, it's a weird thing because um, there's no doubt in what I do that, um, that, you know, you have to get somewhat immune to what you see. Cause all I deal with is tragedy. People right. don't call me when good things happen, you know, right. I, 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 you know, and, 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 and I've never done criminal law. I've never done divorce. I've never done wills and trusts. I've never done transactional work. It's always been injury and people call me when bad things happen. Um, but I feel, I take it as pride that they've trusted me with their life or their family's life to get them what I, I think is the justice they deserve, whether it's a case that's worth $10,000 and cases worth $10 million. Um, I put the same effort in and, and I feel that I truly feel that I'm, you know, my profession, I'm, I, we're one of the last white knights uh, of professions, you know, that, that we're the voice for the voiceless and where we're there to champion the cause for people that without us couldn't get to court because of the costs and all the restrictions going against insurance companies and corporate America, big pharma and whatever it is. I mean, I, I think it's truly the plaintiff trial lawyer that, that, that kind of equalizes the playing field for, 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 you know, for people. Yeah. You know, and it's interesting in the personal injury law, because I mean, you got some people, they'll bring cases that are just, you know, complete BS and it's the insurance company because I have to deal with some of that in my in-house job. But then you have some and the insurance companies fight and this and that um, in some cases for good 
purpose. But there are some times too, when you're hurt or you have a claim for a property damage or whatever, these insurance companies, they'll fight you tooth and nail. And you're like, oh. wait a second here. I paid a premium. I'm not trying to uh, you know, be shady here. And it's just difficult. And you like you like you said, you've got to have somebody that can go in there and fight for you. And because uh, when these people get hurt, they're not experts on all this. And they just got to have the people that can go and battle with the insurance companies and fight. And it becomes that negotiation. Well, you know, and I'll tell you, I, I, I've, I mean, golly, in, you know, November, um, this coming November of 21 will be 19 years I've been licensed to practice, you know, mm-hmm. so. Um, did you get like, did, did you go to law school right after college? Like, like I, took, I, did? I took a year off. I actually interned with a law firm in Paducah and I worked okay. with the Kentucky democratic party setting up events, which that was a whole lot of fun, but oh yeah, Jay, I was so burnt out, I guess, by the time I graduated from Murray, cause I did that area in environmental engineering. So I think I had like 140 hours and I'm like, yeah, let me just take a year off. But I graduated in 2003 from Louisville, did that LLM at Miami in 2004. So this is my 17th year. Okay. Oh, because you, 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 I forgot you got your LLM. That's right. Yeah. That's right. But that was kind of like a year of practicing law. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, so I've been practicing almost 19 years, but I mean, to me, um, you know, it, it, and if you add the five years from clerking, I, I really feel like I've been practicing all 24 years. I haven't because five years didn't count. But in my mind, the way I was groomed and I've seen it all. I've seen good cases. I've seen bad cases. I've seen cases that were iffy. I've seen cases that were complicated, but but were righteous. Um, and but the the constant, <clears throat> the constant I've seen, because when I take a case, I mean, you know, the difference of a plan for in an insurance defense lawyer is the insurance defense lawyer can't pick their cases. They get assigned by the insurance carrier and they have to defend it, whether 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 it's a good case for them or whether it's a case they owe money on. Where me, it's shot selection. I get to, you know, and you, we hope the more experience you get that we make good decisions on the cases we take. And I've had some I took that just, sorry, they just, you know, they, they, they just went to crap and you lost and that it just happens. But yeah. the most part of cases I pick are winners. There may not, you know, and, and there's different definition of what a winner is, a value. But most of the time, I, I, cases I get, I take, I get money for, and I get money for my client. Mm-hmm. But um, the constant across every, every, all years and every case I handle are the insurance companies lowballing people. And, and, and most clients that have come to me came to me because the insurance company pissed them off and insulted them. Yeah. You know, where, where they have, they're trying to get done on their own and, and, you know, and, and they got this injury and it's clear liability and it's, you know, rear inclusion, let's say, for example. And, you know, maybe the case is worth 25 grand. The insurance company offers them 2,500 bucks mm. and the person's got, you know, 10, $15,000 in medical bills or whatever it may be. And they just want their bills paid every, but the insurance company lowballs them. Yeah. And what's that make them do? They call a lawyer and they call me and go, yeah, it's worth a lot more than that. And I go and, you know, I do it on percentage of recovery. So a contingency fee, right? So mm-hmm. clients don't pay me anything out of pocket. We finance the costs. So we, we advance any expenses and we get that recouped out of the settlement. Um, but it, it lets us go forward. And I mean, there's been plenty of times I've told clients that the offer from the insurance company is actually pretty close and there's not much else I can do. Um, so you should probably settle on your own rather than paying me a third. Why don't you just do it on your own? You know, that's a fair number. And I've done that more times than I can count in my career. But the cases I take where that ha- where, where where they lowball them, um, there's not one time I've gotten less than the insurance company offered. There's not one time that I've gotten exactly what the insurance company offered. It's always been a pretty large multiple 
mm-hmm. of what the insurance company offered the person when they didn't have a lawyer. And, uh, and they're trained. It's just the training in the system to try to get to people early, especially with COVID, right? In the last year, people are out of work. They need the money. It's tax-free dollars. And they get to them early and say, here's a check for 1000 bucks or $2,500 or $5,000. I mean, that case could be worth 100, 100 grand. But they're getting them quick and the people are taking it because they don't know any better. And, um, and they're scared. And they're scared. And they want the money. Mm-hmm. So, so that's the biggest constant is, is that. Um, you know, but it's, it's, you know, and, and, but yeah, can I say that, you know, it's something important to me is there's always this whole thing about, you know, are there quote frivolous lawsuits? And there really aren't. I mean, are there cases that maybe, um, they're asking for more money and they're worth? Yes. All the time. Are there cases that maybe the person who sued, you know, maybe they're at fault. Yeah, does that mean it's frivolous? Um, if, if there's a wreck and there's a, a, a fair dispute over who caused the crash and the person's hurt, no, it's not. And if it's truly frivolous with no merit, judges throw those cases out. I mean, they just don't get to a jury. Um, McDonald's coffee changed the whole landscape of what we do. People just like, oh my God, this woman got, you know, a million dollars and got coffee spilled on her. Well, yeah, but if you look into the facts of it, you really dig into it. You know, McDonald's made a conscious decision to serve a coffee at a hotter temperature because it would last longer and would save them money from making new batches of the coffee. And they had thousands of complaints. Their coffee would be too hot. And the corporate representative of the trial testified that the number of complaints they got was an insignificant number for them to change their practices. And the woman had, I think, 17 skin grafts. I mean, mm-hmm. you know, but... I can't tell juries that, right? They think McDonald's coffee was frivolous. So we have to endorse it and say, yeah, that was a frivolous case. Here's why my case is different. Um, but that's the biggest battle is, is that I have to face, right? Is, is when I'm picking juries and I'm, and I'm talking to them about my case, that this is a real case with real injuries with, you know, with, with a, a person who's been harmed for life. And this case is not frivolous. And it, it, it's hard depending on what jury pool you get to because to, they they see personal injury and in trial lawyer what do they think ambulance chaser right mm-hmm. you know so it's 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 a it, it's a it's a hard thing to do but you know i'm happy to take on that challenge so uh what are some of your most memorable cases since you've been in private practice you know it's there's been a lot and 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 i'll try to you know keep it not not go too long on them but you know because Every time you're with a lawyer, people always say, oh, gosh, war stories going to talk shop, right? So, <laughs> but there, there are TV, some. Jay. You what? Good TV. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> but, you know, I, I remember I remember my most memorable moment as a law clerk before as a lawyer was we had this railroad crossing death case against Norfolk Southern. And my, my partner had and, and five teenagers were killed in this crash. And I remember we wanted to look at certain documents for the railroad. And I remember that they took us down, the railroad lawyer took us down to Norfolk Southern's headquarters in Kentucky. Um, it was, I think in Somerset. And, and one of the other lawyers in the case that had one of the families that was working with my my partner or my boss. Um, and I remember I made the trip. And I remember we go and they take us in this conference room and they just pile these, just stacks of paper and folders and just all, all these documents. Mm-hmm. And like, here, look through them, you know, and flag anything you want copied. And I'll never forget, I'm looking through all these papers and we've been there for hours. And I, and I find this memo. I remember I'm looking and I'm going, you know, I'm going through it going, 
I think I found the smoking gun. And the other lawyer goes, what? I go, look at this. And it, and it was this crossing, this railroad crossing that was a, um, it was a, I think it was a private cross. And there's a whole difference in railroad law, public versus private crossing, what you can do with warnings. But they had a bunch of wrecks at this one crossing. And the crossing did not have a gate or like an arm, didn't have lights. It didn't have the bell. It was just an open crossing. It had the cross box, right? The, 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 you know, black and white sign with the cross box on it. And I remember that there's a memo about the cost to put warnings at that crossing to put a gate and lights. And it was, I don't know what the cost was 60 grand or hundred grand, or I don't know what it was. But I remember there was a handwritten note diagonal on that memo that said, although this is expensive, the cost is more than worth it if it saves a life. It's a nice party admission there. <laughs> and I remember I flagged it and that became truly the document of the entire case. And the, the, I think the, the Sunday before the Monday of trial, the case settled for seven figures because that would come down to that they made a conscious financial decision not to spend the money versus preventing a crash. Wow. So I remember like that and that's and that started me going, okay, I'm meant to do this. Like this is like I remember we got goosebumps. Like this is what I want to do. I want to find out and I want my life's mission is to get in these cases and find out if companies are making decisions to put money and finances over safety and it's affecting people's lives. That's what I want to do. And that's what I've gotten into. Um, you know, and, and one of my, my favorite, well, and, and that one thing where I told you about that, how I got to work, work with Ron Johnson was, do you remember the Skecher shape up shoes? Yes. You had Kim Kardashian, you had Brooke Burke, you had Wayne Gretzky and there were all these shape up shoes. Well, that was the call I got. It was from a lawyer in Alabama that used to be in Northern Kentucky. And this, and he put something on a blog about shoes and this lady from Cincinnati called him and about these injuries she got from wearing these shoes. And she was a server and, and Skechers made these black shape-ups for people in the service industry and white for people in the medical field. And well, the shoes literally changed the way you walk. And the shoes were, you know, we're designed you know, as humans to walk a certain way and the shoes change that. Well, what it did was when it changes the way you walk, it changes where the pressure is going. It changes the fulcrum point because the shoes sit up higher and people were getting stress fractures and the shoes were, they would lose their balance. And instead of it losing your balance down by your ankle, it'd be the middle of your leg and people's legs were literally snapping. I mean, really? that literally were walking off a curb instead of rolling their ankle, they'd roll the middle of their leg and their leg would snap. It wow. Would so we ended up, I mean, I couldn't tell you at one point in the office, we had like 300 pairs of Skechers shape of shoes in the hallways and, um, and we sued Skechers and, um, you know, and, 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 and after years of litigation, I remember we got that resolved for, you know, I mean, it was in the eight figures that that got, got resolved um, and they took the shoes off the market. Um, we never got to depose uh, my, my, the joke was my law partner called dibs and deposing Kim Kardashian. Yeah. <laughs> and I, and I called dibs on deposing Brooke Burke. Um, it never came to that. They wouldn't, they never let us get that far. Never, but, never did, um, huh? No misrepresentation uh, claims. Yeah. Yeah. But I remember that. Um, one of my other favorites is, um, 
you know, a trial I had. And this, uh, this woman I'm still friends with today, she lives in Somerset and she was in a wreck in Cincinnati and ultimately had neck surgery. And you'll love the part of this story. And they lowballed her. Um, and I remember I go to trial, it was in 2014 in Cincinnati. And they gave me some crappy offer. And I was like, no, I'm just, I'm just trying the case. Like, let's just go. And I remember we get the jury in the box. <clears throat> and um, trial's going well. Testimony's going in well. The doctor did great. Client did great. Um, and, and I remember I'm in, um, I remember the morning of closing arguments, I had no idea what I was going to say. It was one of the few times where I hadn't prepared my closing. So I get up at like 5am, I go down the kitchen, I get my cup of coffee and I just get a piece of paper and I just start writing. Like, what am I going to say? And the whole thing was she was in this crash, but she already had a trip planned to go to Philadelphia where her ex-husband was to get her boys. And she was staying with her parents who were in Philly at the time, or her sister who was in Philly at the time. So she had this pre-planned trip a couple days after the crash. She goes to Philadelphia. And she, because um, her boys lived with her ex-husband in the summer. So that was her only time to go see him. And she had been hurting, but she hadn't been to the doctor yet. I mean, you know, it was, a, it was a case where she was hurt, but there was a delay of her getting to a doctor. She goes to Philadelphia. She sleeps in her you know, sister's spare bedroom on like this really hard, weird pillow. And she remembers, you know, waking up next morning and having a crick in her neck, sees her boys, goes on back, and then ends up getting really bad neck pain, pain draining down her arm, gets to a neurosurgeon, gets an MRI, and she has a herniated disc that required surgery. So she ended up having surgery at, you know, 34, 35 years old. Mm-hmm. Um, and she's got a fused neck now. And she had, you know, two young boys and stuff. So I remember I'm in trial and the defense lawyers um kept talking about this pillow like they were they were trying to say that this her sleeping on a pillow wrong is what herniated the disc in her neck not getting hit in the rear by a you know four thousand pound car it was a it was a pillow and i was trying to i'm trying to sit there going how do i show how just ridiculous this is and I knew I had two guys in my jury that were sports fans from jury selection. I found out. So I'm sitting there going pillow Philadelphia. And all of a sudden it dawns on me and, and my favorite moment in sports, one of my favorite interviews and moments in sports history was Alan Iverson. Right. Oh yeah. And I'm sitting there in closing argument saying, and you know, these defense lawyers are talking about a pillow, like a pillow. And you know what this reminds me of? It reminds me of one of my favorite moments in sports history. Practice? Practice? Are we talking about practice? Not the game I live and die for. Are we talking about practice? I mean, are we really talking about a pillow? And these two guys in the back of the jury, they grin ear to ear, and their head goes up and down. And I go, I got them. Yeah. This jury's mine. I got them. I finish, I finish it, and they come back, and, we, and we, we, I, beat, I, don't know, I beat the offer by like five – the verb was like five times the offer. Killed them. Killed them. Mm-hmm. Um, but that was like my favorite moment of trial. I'm like, you know, it's just me being real, right? It's not some gimmick. It's like, I love sports and I remember the Al Iverson quote and I'm like, and it's just me connecting. Right. So that was, that was a good moment. Um, a couple others, you know, not to, I, I can go on forever on cases, but you know, there was a case I got done recently, um, where it was a woman who lives in Florida now, but was reared by a bus and the crash is on video. And a firm sent me the case. And before the firm sent me the case and before I filed the lawsuit, 
the the last offer by the bus company, the insurance company was like, I think it was like $9,500 or 10 grand or something. Mm-hmm. And, and I remember I get the case. I'm like, this is a really good case. She, she has a really bad injury. Um, and I remember we were, I worked the case up. It took many, many years. I mean, it was a 2016 crash. I got settled January of 2020. Wow. Um, so almost four years to the day of the crash. And I remember we're in this case and I'm working it, I'm working it. And they send my client to this doctor in Cincinnati to be examined. And I had his exam videotaped. And I remember I go in, it was the most I've ever spent on, on trying to take down a defense expert. And this is a notorious doctor in Cincinnati who's just known for giving the opinion that the insurance company wants him to do. And with hiring experts, with having his video reviewed of the exam with, with everything you could imagine, um, I spent like $20,000 just to take this guy down. And I remember I took his deposition over two days for like five hours. And I then come back a month later to take his trial testimony by video. And I remember I'm in the trial testimony and he tells me he did this certain procedure to test her neck, her, flex, her, her, her flexibility. And I remember I said, well, doctor, you remember we had this exam video? He goes, yeah. And I go, I mean, I've looked at this video. I go, you didn't have her do this maneuver you told me about. Yeah, I did. I go, well, your report says you did, but I mean, you didn't do it. Well, I'm not going to answer it until I see the video. I go, but you have, you haven't seen it in a while. So, okay, let's go off the record. I'm going to go off the record. I gave my iPad. I go here, here's the video. It's 30, it, it's 20 or 32 minutes. I go watch it. And he sat there and he's fast forwarding. And about, it took about eight minutes to get to, you know, the, Oh, okay, I'm ready. We'll go back and write. Doctor, we went off the record. We had my iPad. And the entire video is here. The video was 32 minutes, 20 minutes. You talked to her. Your actual physical exam was 11 minutes. The actual back exam, and this is a back case. This is a back injury case. You spent two minutes out of 32 examining her back. And you told me before we went off the record that you had her, you measured that she had 20 degrees of back extension. That's bending backwards. Right. Stand up and then right. And you do it with this thing called a inclinometer, right? You showed it to me and it, it, it measures degrees, right? And you're supposed to put it on her back and then say bend backwards and then you measure the degrees, right? Yes, you said she had a normal back extension, correct? You just watched the video. You didn't give it, you didn't have her do that test, did you? Well, I just kind of eyeballed it. So well, wait, doctor. You never said to my client, ask her to bend backwards and you measure it. Did you know? It didn't happen, did you know? Well, now comment a lie under oath that he said he gave a test that he never gave. I then file motions. The judge strikes most of his opinions. I get I get most of his opinions stricken. Mm-hmm. Um, and the case, remember, I told you that the last offer before I got the case was like nine five hundred dollars, and I got that done for five hundred seventy five thousand. Yeah, three weeks for trial, but because I was going, I, I chose to take this doctor on, take the time, spend tons of money. And I knew he, I knew he, I knew he was, you know, he just wasn't an upfront guy. And I, I knew I'd have to just work harder than him, work harder than everyone else to expose him. And since then he's now, I mean, pe- there, there's so much information I've gotten on this guy. I, I shared with uh, hundreds and hundreds of lawyers, um, you know, and I, I gave a presentation last year to an audience of like 300 lawyers on uh, nationally on what I did to this guy um, wow. to help them learn. This is what it takes 
to really prepare to take down a, a dishonest doctor. And some are honest, but I knew he was dishonest. So, yeah. so I'm proud of, you know, I would, I would be too. I mean, anytime you can take down somebody shady, that gives you a, a good feeling. See, it's yeah. appropriate for your law firm website. Justice starts here. Well, we, I tell you, we, we, you know, we'd hired a, a marketing company um, and we, um, we did some online focus groups and survey monkeys and stuff uh, on names and titles and branding. Cause I, you know, I used to kind of the story was, you know, there was a, when I left my, the firm when I was with Ron at that time, it was called Shaq or Hindy Johnson. Again, now it's Hindy Johnson, Von Emery. In that four year period, I, I worked for um, Morgan and Morgan, who's the largest injury firm in America. And that's how I got to Louisville was working for them. Um, and you know, one thing they do good is they have the brand right for the people and they have branding. I learned branding is important, you know, and if your email address is something, something law firm and something, something law and your website, something law, or it's just the name of the partners, it doesn't stand apart. It doesn't, it doesn't set you apart. Right. I mean, branding is important. Um, so we actually spent a lot of money and, and again, we did national focus groups on what name resonated with people. And, um, the winner was Justice Starts here. Yeah. No, it's a, it's interesting. My, uh, my first guest that I had on for Love Your Lawyer Month, he's big into marketing too. And it's something that law firms don't always want to do. It's kind of like referral word of mouth, but I think things have changed so much. You've just got to, I mean, a law firm is a business. I mean, you wouldn't tell uh, Walmart to not advertise. You don't tell University of Louisville not don't advertise all that. I mean, it's, it's very, very important. It, so, it is, you know, and, 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 you know, lawyers, we're, 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 most of us are good at being lawyers. We're usually terrible at business. Yeah. Terrible at marketing. And so something I, I learned for, you know, for my firm now, and, and I'm proud to be an owner of the firm is, is you know, marketing's important. And yeah, we get a lot of stuff by referrals from lawyers, but, you know, we, we need to get, I'd love to get more cases, you know, organically where clients call us directly. Um, so we don't have referral fees and everything else. And they're calling us and we've been making, we've switched web companies and we're, you know, we're, we're, what I think is one of the top legal marketing companies in the, in the country on an SEO, like, you know, you do search engine optimization and stuff like, you know, when you get into legal SEO, the law firm space for personal injury, it's like the Super Bowl of SEO. It, it is as competitive and as expensive and and you gotta have someone that really stays on top of how Google changes their algorithm and what what they rank as being credible and not credible. And and the company we're with now, I mean, it's really done wonders for us. Um, but I mean, obviously it comes at the price, but you know, because most firms my size, you can't compete with you know with the big advertising firms. I mean, some of these firms have a budget depending on what part of the country they're in, of anywhere from you know three, four million a year to twenty. 30 million a year just spent in advertising. So you're, you're, the majority of the firms, we can't compete with that. You know, you got to find other ways, but there are other ways cost effective to do it, but you got to do something. Are more of your cases from people within the, the Louisville, Northern Kentucky area, or do you get a lot of referrals from other areas of the state or even outside of the state? That's a great question. I'd say most of my cases now were referred by lawyers in another state, mainly because, um, you know, they, they've either I'm active on, I'm at, there's a bunch of national listservs I'm on for trucking and brain injury and other stuff. Right. Um, but mainly speaking, it, exposure. It, mm -hmm. It's, you know, I, I guess, you know, and, and we have a national trial organization where I used to be on the board and I'm active in that group and I've written to their magazine and I'm active and I'm, I mean, I'm the officer of the Kentucky Justice Association. So I'll be president of KJA 
which is the plaintiff trial organization in Kentucky. I'll be president in a couple of years. My partner, Penny Hindi, is immediate past mm-hmm. president. My partner, Ron Johnson, was president several years before that. Um, and, 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 and I get a lot of exposure there, but, um, I speak nationally. I mean, I've, I was looking back to before as kind of preparing for you, for this show. Um, you know, I'm probably sitting at about since I've been practicing law, I've probably presented either in person or, you know, webinar. I'm, I'm probably over 110 seminars I've spoken at in almost 19 years. Um, and, and, I, you know, writing articles and then I have lawyers that I've done, you know, I have lawyers that call me. I mean, golly, I'm probably at, if not week, it, you know, definitely weekly, I get a call, a text, an email from a lawyer with a question. Um, but it's sometimes every couple of days. Um, oh, wow. I, I get calls about, you know, do you have this or how would you handle this? And, and you know, I had a lawyer in Ohio that wanted me to take on a tractor trailer case for him. Um, and I looked at it and I reviewed it. And I actually on Thursday, I called him and said, you know, it, it, there's some 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 facts of the case that I can't change that I just don't like. And I declined it, you know, mm-hmm. but I got, you know, but, but I, you know, there's several cases I have now that lawyers sent me from Georgia, from Florida, you know, from Ohio, from, I got two from a lawyer in California that saw me speak at a webinar on trucking. So, I mean, I get, you know, and, and I, I, I'm, I'm, again, I, there's, I get opportunities to look at cases, you know, in, 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 in not just that happened in Kentucky or Ohio, but other states. So like I said, I have a, I have a truck case, uh, a pretty big truck crash right now that was that I got and I'm working with my buddy down in Florida. So he's in Jacksonville and it's a crash that happened in, in, in Delray in near, right near Delray. So, yep. um, so yeah, I, yeah, all over. You know, I'm going to change our question order here just because we've been talking about marketing and stuff. Um, how do you, how is the law practice today different than when you started? Because to me, it's, it's almost, it's not completely night and day, but there's been a lot of change since 1990. Or not you, know, you know, that's a great, it, it has, I mean, th- there's some obvious things and there's some, some things that you wouldn't know unless you're a lawyer. The obvious things are the advertising has gotten more aggressive. Um, yeah. The TV advertising is more aggressive, the billboards, the bus wraps, the benches. Um, and, you know, and, and there's a whole, there's a, there's a different factions of lawyers that, are okay with advertising and, and despise it. I right. used to, I used to despise it. Um, but then the more I thought about, and obviously when, you know, for the four years I worked for the largest, you know, injury and advertising firm in the country, um, I saw a different perspective and it's a necessary evil to some extent because clients just, you know, they, they're looking for people and it's business and insurance companies market. And why can't lawyers market? It's just that they don't like what it portrays. You know, that call me, I'll get you money. But that's, and it, there's a way to do it tastefully and a way to do it tacky. And a lot of firms do it tacky, but they do it tacky because they want the phone to ring. And guess what? It works. Mm-hmm. But but people, they, they, it, it, I think that a lot of the problem that, that people have with advertising is, well, you're just doing this and, and just to get people money, but that's our system. I mean, that's our system. That's our rule of law. That's our, our we, we have a tort system in America where if you get hurt and someone caused it, you can get money from them to compensate you instead of, again, we don't do eye for an eye justice, right? I mean, we don't, we don't do that. We don't go, well, you, 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 you lost a limb, so let me go chop your freaking arm off. Like, so it's, it's a, it's a compensation system with insurance. It's why we have it. So, but People, so talking about it shouldn't be taboo, 
but yeah, there's ways it's done that's distasteful and that that feels slimy. Um, but you know, that's what's changed a lot. I'm okay with advertising. I wish some would be better commercials, but I'm okay with it. I'm at peace with it. Um, that's one way it's changed. Technology, obviously, people find out by the internet. People don't just come in. I mean, the day of people walking into your office doesn't happen. I mean, you don't just get people to walk in and say, hey, I'm looking for a lawyer. They do their research, right? They're using Yelp. They're using Google. They're looking at reviews. They're looking at Avo. They're looking at super lawyers there, and they're really vetting people. Um, so you got to have a good presence and in, in, in on different platforms, not just a website, but I mean, and you can have a website that's up to date and looks like it's a website from 2021, not 1995, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, you, you got to you got to really be up with the times. Um, so that's a change. Um, the other change is, is more upsetting. Um, and I don't see it getting better. Um, we, we've lost the professionalism. Mm-hmm. We, we've lost the respect um, and being courteous to your opponent. Um, there's just so much scorched earth practice and just ugliness where, you know, some lawyers Plain lawyers included, but but a lot of defense lawyers um, win at all costs, and it's ugly. And they hide evidence. They, oh, wow. I mean, you know, I, mean, I, t- I, t- I literally took a deposition on Wednesday. Uh, I got, I got a, uh, probably my biggest case is the brain injury case against against Lowe's, um, and I took um, a deposition. And the judge ordered them to produce certain things, and I found you know one particular set of documents that. They have the guy who I deposed said, yeah, I, I, I searched for it. And I found it. I said, what'd you do? I gave it to legal. Do you know why I don't have it? No. Mm. I mean, yeah. like it, it's just stuff like that. And, and it, it's upsetting. It's disheartening because, you know, it is a business, but it's truly a profession, right? I mean, we truly have a profession and, um, but you know, you look, you look at, obviously you were in the business of arguing and people take it too serious. And, and they think that, you know, I'm going, I'm going to, I'm going to punch you out. I'm going to go for the juggler. I'm going to knock you out and kill you. And, and they go and it's just all these battles and, you know, they, they forget that, you know, it's still a small world we live in and you're going to come across that lawyer, that firm again. And yeah. so only, you know, you know, some people deserve to be taken out, but most time they don't, but they, they just go and it's so nasty. And, you have to understand the other mentality of it. If you're on the plaintiff side, I only get paid if I win, a mm-hmm. settlement or a verdict. If I lose, the client gets nothing. I get nothing. And if I have, whether I have 5,000 expenses or my firm has spent $100,000 on a case, I mean, we eat that. Like right. we don't go to the client and say, we lost, pay us back on the grand. That's a business loss. Mm-hmm. And, and that, that can cripple people, right? So there's a lot of plaintiff lawyers that get overextended on cases, that spend too much, that don't know how to resolve them. Um, and they go out, they, 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 they're on the verge of closing their shop. Um, and, and then defense lawyers, most of them are at the mercy of the insurance companies because mm-hmm. that's who pays them. But it's, it's a ruthless business to get that insurance company or to lose it because they pay them such a crappy hourly rate. I mean, the hourly rate that most insurance defense lawyers make is awful. Not talking, yeah. corporate, not talking business, but I mean, you know, State Farm and Allstate and Progressive and yeah. they crappy rates. And it's cutthroat to get that business. And the only way those lawyers make money is to bill by the hour. Well, bill by the hour means 
the more work I do, the longer the case takes, the more money I bring to my firm to make our overhead. Where me, you know, I can have a case take six months or seven years, I'm still getting the same same percentage if it resolves. So our, my business model is built on the long haul and theirs is built on, we got to build, 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 work, work, work. And it causes stress in each profession. And then you get these battles. Um, uh, and and I, I don't know, I don't know, how to get this fixed, but it's the worst. The worst part of our profession is the nastiness and the disrespect to opposing counsel, shitty emails, crappy letters, yelling at you, accusing you of stuff, yelling at your expert, insulting your client. Like there's just no place for that. Um, but it happens all the time. You know, um, unfortunately, society's kind of that way. I mean, think about Facebook wars and people will comment oh. and say things that, you know, if they're face to face, if they're a halfway decent person, they would never say that kind of stuff. And I think, you know, in society, it's all been even like when we were growing up, it's win, win, win. You got to win. You got to get an A. Um, and sometimes people need to take a step back. I will say at least maybe my my profession of the law is a little bit different, at least with real estate lawyers, because usually, you know, when you're in a battle, you're completely ad- adversarial. But at least in the real estate world, we're trying to I'm trying to work with that other lawyer to close a deal that we both both of our clients want to happen. So I've been very fortunate in that regard. But I mean, I hear stories just like what you said, and it's it's unfortunate. So I think one thing that's a big change for me is just the email volume. It is like so many emails. And then the client has such an expectation of an instantaneous return because they think, well, they don't know how many emails you're getting. And it's just constant and it, it can just wear you out. And I know like when I come home from work, you know, I got to take Rodney out and I go to the gym, but I've just got to like decompress. And now, I mean, I'm a huge sports fan, but a lot of times I'm just listening to it on the radio or I may turn the TV on. Cause if I'm in front of a computer all day, I think the last thing I want to do is sit in front of a TV for another three hours. Well, you, you know, it, it's, it's, and that's the, you know, you hit the nail on the head on the chain, one of the changes in the law before, if you left the office, but whatever time you didn't get exposed to work until you came back to the office the next morning, mm-hmm. you, you clients couldn't reach you. Um, unless you gave them your cell phone, you weren't getting emails on your phone because, you know, in early in my practice, it, you didn't have emails on your phone or, mm-hmm. or if your office didn't have the right tech set up, you couldn't get emails on your phone or whatever. So, but now with all the social media and, and now with, you know, all the different case management software, most of it being cloud-based. And I mean, you literally can access, I mean, I'm paperless now. So, I mean, I, I don't have paper files. Everything is, in Dropbox, in our case management software. So if I have my phone, my iPad, or my laptop, think of that. I have three. I have three devices that I do work on, and so you can. You're. It's. It's more of a twenty four seven access. Um, and if you don't manage it right, if you don't set boundaries, and you don't really, it, it can be overwhelming to the point of bad things will start happening either in your practice, staying on top of things, or or you, you know mentally and emotionally and financially. Um, but that's the hardest thing is to learn how to manage the communication. Mm-hmm. Um, and my friend, some of my friends joke with me. We actually, we were literally talking about, uh, I had a happy hour, a couple of bug trucking lawyers on zoom um, last night. Um, 
but they joke at me because they can't get over my inbox. Um, so let me ask you, Ben, on your, your, on your work email, how many emails are in your inbox right now? Open or unopened? How many do you have? Unopened? I, I've, I open all of them, but probably maybe like 25 because I pull them into folders. Yeah. So, so you're, you're, you're closer to me. I have one right now. I, I, one. One, I have one. Again, I've been sitting here all morning with you, so I don't know if I have any, but I, I, I'm not checking my email or doing this, but um, I had, as of this morning, I had one because, and my friends have hundreds to thousands in their inbox. Mm-hmm. Um, and for me, I can't function. If I see I got 10 emails, in my inbox, I lose my mind because I want to deal with it. So Hey, if it's an email, someone just tell me something, but my paralegal's copied on it, I delete it to my paralegal knows that she saves it to the case. If it's someone that has a question, could I delay it and get back to them a couple of days? Yeah, but if I just take five minutes, I could probably answer this. Let me do it now. Mm-hmm. Um, and they like immediate response and it doesn't take me that long and I'm not that busy, great. Or if it's a marketing email or something of a vendor, I just hit delete, like out. Um, I'm on I'm on seven, one, two, wait. I'm on seven listservs, seven national listservs. I have those with rules that automatically dump into the subfolder for that listserv. Right. So if I then look at the subfolder, I can see, and most of them, I don't care if someone's asking about, you know, uh, you know, uh, uh, they need a lawyer looking for, to refer a construction case in Florida. I'm like, delete, 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 delete. But I can get through it quickly. Mm-hmm. My way is I got to stay on top of those emails when they come through. Um, and now I'm managing them. If I just let them sit and I come back to them, now my anxiety goes up because now I got all this to get through. And to me, it seems insurmountable. Um, and I don't like to just ignore them. So I, I'm, I'm usually anywhere from zero to five emails in my inbox at in, any given day. Yeah. I think with me, I mean, I, I'm like you. As soon as an email comes in, I always look at it and respond if I can and stuff. But sometimes, I, like the only reason why I have like 25 in my box is because I may flag them. And it's like, okay, well, I can't get to it now, but I'm going to. That's kind of like my running checklist. Yep. Yep. I tell you one thing that's also changed in the law tremendously. And we talked about marketing and how important that is for a law firm to have that in the budget. But you've got to have a good computer tech person on your team. It's just critical. You know, it, it's 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 interesting. We um you know, and that's uh and we've kind of changed. We've had the in-house tech person um or someone on contract. Um, and you know, when we had a server in house and something would always go wrong, need more memory, need this, need to change this. We've switched to where most of us have Macs now and we have left less problems with Macs than we did with PCs. Um, but we're in the process of switching our case management software to the cloud. And we're, um, uh, I think we go live here in about two weeks. Um, but it's taken about a year. I mean, it's a long process to switch. Cause I mean, you're, you're on one system and you have to code and map and customize. And, um, but with stuff in the cloud with obviously security login and credentials and things like that, um, we have less tech problems to worry about because if we bought everyone new Macs, um, other than having a, a, a big printer at the office and we have a company that comes in to do maintenance every couple of months or something, we don't really have those networking problems anymore. We, when we had our own everything in-house on a server, mm-hmm. we did because there would be server issues that go down. And, but now we don't. And so we're, we're going to be saving money in the long run because now with everything outhouse, um, it, it's, it's, it's a lot better. So there was a period of time, though, I remember when 
when I, I think in the early 2000s to, to, to mid 2000s or late 90s to, to mid 2000s, it was a really big problem because everything was in-house server and you had a new lawyer and you need new space and things were slow and get new internet. Um, the last couple of years, we, we don't have anyone. I mean, we, we've, we're at, we at, but we're small. I mean, bigger firms, maybe but we're small because we, you know, we can just do it. Like I said, I, I can, I can just take my, my iPad and I can work all day on my iPad and just use my, my data plan and I won't have any problems. That's interesting. Well, so I know you got a lot going on. Uh, tell me some of what are the exciting issues you're working on right now? Um, you know, there's a couple. Um, I told you about that, that 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 deposition on Lowe's, and that's an interesting case because um, my client suffered a brain injury. Um, a, some landscaping blocks or stones fell from a shelf above, and a pallet that was wow. routed broke. Yeah, Gosh. and um, and he's a great guy. His son was with him. Thank God, his son was on the other side of the cart when the stones fell on him. Um, but you know, Lowe's. You know, we had a we've had a huge battle. It's literally been twelve months of battle to get documents, and Gosh. we had to brief it with the judge. I had a big hearing by Zoom, and we won. And judge, Lowe's wanted to give me their documents on safety and training and stuff, but only with you know what you you know as a, you know called a protective order. But for people who aren't lawyers listening to this confidentiality. They, they said, we'll give you everything, but we just want documents to be confidential. You can't share them with people. You can't use them in other cases. You have to give them back and shred them at the end of the case. And I went, no, like this is safety stuff. Uh, like this, this, your, your store where, you know, you open to the public um, and I should be able to get your stuff and be able to share and use it however I want. Um, I'm asking for, you know, financial stuff. So I remember we went to the hearing with the judge and I basically started out by saying, judge, I just want I said, I'm not asking for the algorithm to the iPhone 12. I just want to know, see their documents for how they're supposed to store stuff safely so customers don't get injured and killed. Like that shouldn't be, that's not a confidential business document. That's not a trade secret. Um, That's just safe practice. And we won. And the judge ordered that basically we get all their stuff without any confidentiality. Um, And then they produced it with they defaced the documents, putting these big watermarks across the pages. Um, and so I took, took a deposition on Wednesday of a, of a records, a corporate rep on records, you know, and again, I learned stuff they didn't give me before. I learned of stuff they yeah. have, but they were told not to look for. They were told by the lawyers, don't look for this, even though they have it. And um, so I, I, I mean, I'll go back to the court, but it's a big case and I'm taking my time because my client has a, I mean, I mean, he has an objective brain injury, um, uh, with, I mean, with positive scans and positive testing and, and, you know, he's a young, he's a relatively young guy with a family. And, and so trying to do that, right. Um, you know, a couple of things I'm doing, not case related that I think are important. Um, one is, you know, a friend of mine named Joel Feldman, Joel's a lawyer in Philadelphia. And about 10, 11 years ago, um, Joel's daughter, Casey, um, was killed crossing the street by a distracted driver. And um, ever since then, Joel and his wife, Diana, has made a life mission to educate everyone, lawyers, the public, on the dangers of distracted driving. Mm-hmm. Um, so they formed this organization called EndDistractedDriving.org or EndDD.org. Um, and Joel goes around the country and speaks to high schools middle schools, 
um, civic organizations has met with the National Highway you know, Safety Transportation Administration and, and met with the DOT and testified. Um, and so anytime our national group, our trial lawyers have conventions, he sets up you know, talks, presentations at high schools. COVID's affected that. But I've probably spoken at five or six high schools now. I spoke at um, I've spoken in Florida. Um, you know, I've spoken uh, spoke to some in Pennsylvania. It was by Zoom during COVID. Um, I've spoken here in Kentucky. Um, but we give these presentations to to you know freshmen to through seniors on distracted driving, on real life cases and things that have happened. And the time you look at a text, how far you're driving and how much distance you're traveling. And that distracted driving is, is you know, you're 22 times more likely to be hit by a distracted driver than a drunk driver now. It's truly the new drunk driving. And just bringing awareness, like, is it worth three seconds to look at a text when you're driving versus costing someone their life? Um, so that's something I do, I do a lot of work on, I'm proud of. Um, and then I'm, I'm also, you know, really we're working on trying to get more awareness and, and possibly le- legislation on, um, you know, stopping, prohibiting the practice of tractor trailers parking on the shoulder of a road outside of an emergency. So outside of a true medical emergency, um, a mechanical emergency, an unforeseen breakdown, an un- unforeseeable weather conditions, semis notoriously just parking inside the road. And they don't put their triangles out. They don't have their flashers on, um, and 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 they cause major hazards um, because you know they'll then you know if it's dark out, people sometimes will swerve or go off the side. You know, will so go off the side of the road. Well, if they're going off the side of the road and a semi there and they hit a semi and it's killing people, and if semis are pulling out from the shoulder, they pull out slower than passenger cars. And by the time if you're going seven miles an hour in the interstate and a semi is pulling out at five ten miles an hour, by the time our bodies you know, we're not robots. By the time we can actually perceive and react to something can take a couple of seconds. And in that time, that closing distance and that speed, nothing you can do as a motorist. And, and I've represented many, many people that have been killed by semis pulled out in front of them. So really trying to work with some national groups on bringing more awareness to that because um, it's a really unsafe practice in the industry. Um, and, it's, you, and a lot of times it's not the truck driver's fault. I mean, it's a situation where they're, you know, the, the, the company um, could be doing a better job of training them, of routing them, of saying, hey, here's a truck stop. You know, you need to pull off at this exit so you're not pulling off the side of the road. So that's some stuff I'm working on. I, I, you know, I've talked about a bunch of cases earlier. I don't want to get too many war stories, but I mean, there's some other cases I'm working on, I'm proud of. But um, that's some other, you know, just general, I think, safety awareness stuff I try to do. Yeah, that's awesome stuff because, I mean, you're, the stuff you're doing is trying to help people's lives. I mean, the whole thing with the texting and driving or distracted driving, that's been a huge issue for the past couple of years. And it's, I guess, I mean, you're no better than I do. I, it seems like it's only getting worse. It is. I mean, you, you, if you, if you would just, if you would just sit there in a parking lot at an intersection, just do, do an intersection and cars driving by, I mean, you know, one, one, you know, one out probably, you know, if you have 10 cars pass by, you're looking at probably at least six of them where either see something in their hand or you see their head down by the steering wheel doing that. I mean, mm-hmm. it just happens all the time. And it's, it's, and, and am I perfect? No, I'm not. I, you know, to say that I no longer drive distracted, it would be a lie, but I do a heck of a lot better. I don't do it with my daughter in the car anymore. Um, and I, and I, and I try not to, not to hold my phone ever. Um, you know, do I have calls go through Bluetooth? Yes. 
you know, through the speaker system of the car. Is that is, is that still distracted driving? It is. I mean, it is. But 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 I, I try to be smart about it. Um, you know, and I'm, I try to get better every day. But um, you know, it, it's it's still hard because because of the pressure we have, right? And and the constant communication we have, um, just in society in general, dings and vibrates and this and that. And you're always, you know, I mean, we're, and, and listen, we get bored driving, our attention gets distracted and we'll look at something and because that's how we're trained. I mean, you know, it, I just think that's where we've gone from yeah. the tickers at the bottom of ESPN to now everything dinging and going off and moving and, and we just now have to shift our focus. Yeah, so that means really people shouldn't be listening to my podcast while they're driving. <laughs> really? Disclaimer, do not listen to this podcast while driving. <laughs> <laughs> Unless you're going through like Southern Georgia and there's nothing there. Right, right. So so you're look, you're known for being a top-notch attorney and a great speaker. And we talked about how that got started at Murray State. Um, in your mind, what makes a person a great lawyer? Um, I think there's a couple components to it. Number one... Um, I think you need to have a pretty high moral ethical compass. I think you need. I agree. To, I think you need to respect the rule of law, expect the rules of procedure, expect respect what the case law says, respect what the judges say, and if you have a document or a photo or a video that hurts your case, but it's that you know, but it's something you have to turn over. Turn it over. Don't hide it. Don't hide the ball. Don't, you know, and that's what I see too much. It, it, yeah. It's back to that professionalism, respect and, and win at all costs. Yeah. Um, I, I think you need to be a student of the law. I think you need to study and understand the law, um, understand what you can and can't do. Go. I mean, I, I go besides speaking at seminars. I mean, you know, I, I have I get I have more continuing legal education credits that that don't count um, because I far exceed. You know, you have to have what twelve a year, I think. You know, in, in Ohio, twenty-four every two years, and I'm, I'm routinely seventy-five to hundred hours a year um, because I want to get better. I want to learn. If you think you've learned it all, then you you you've already lost. If you think you can't pick up a nugget, I don't care if it's a lawyer been practicing forty years or a lawyer been practicing five years, you're fooling yourself. We can always improve and get better. We can always get a takeaway from a presentation, um, and that's only going to make you that much more of a formidable opponent and that much better for your client. Um, preparation. Um, you know, I think too many lawyers wing it, um, go into it and say, oh, this is just a deposition of my client. I mean, well, I, I don't know. I mean, you know, my client was imposed for five hours the other day and we prepped him for an hour and a half. And I mean, that prep was important. If I take a deposition and even if I took a deposition for two hours, I may prep five or 10 hours for it because I want to be ready for everything to be thrown at me. Um, so I prepare and prepare. I, I never want to be and I learned this from my mentor. I never want to be out prepared by the other lawyer. Mm-hmm. You know, I always want to be on top of it. And, and, and to this to this day, I've never gone to trial and been the less prepared lawyer. Um, I think it's being blunt with your clients. Um, yeah. You know, and, and I have a lawyer in mind that's no longer with us now, but that that to me was a rah-rah lawyer. He would tell clients what they wanted to hear to maybe get them to sign up or take the case. Um, and I tell clients verbatim, I tell them this, especially, you know, by phone, you know, now, or, or you know, or if I'm in person, you know, this first time we've met and I'll tell you, I said, I'm not a rah-rah lawyer. I'm going to tell you the goods. I'm going to tell you the bads when they come up. I'm going to tell you things you don't like to hear, but I'm, I'm blunt. I feel it's the only way for me to practice and, and for us to have a very healthy, good, respectful attorney client relationship. So yep. 
something bad happens, I'm going to tell you. Something good happens, I'm going to tell you. And I tell you what, clients appreciate that. And it's not lip service. I mean, when yeah. bad things happen, I call and say, okay, something bad just happened. Yeah. Here's what your doctor said. Or yeah. here's what, you know, whatever it may be. Um, I think too many lawyers just do lip service to get the case. Um, but then then they but then they can never meet the client's expectations. And that's when the attorney client relationship, I think, fails. Um, I agree. I think you need to care. I think you need to have compassion for what you do. I mean, in my line of work, listen, someone, someone was seriously hurt. Someone lost their life. Um, you, you know, you know, you got to have some compassion. Now, I've cried with clients. I've cried in trial. I mean, it, it's just it, it's it, you know, we're not robots. We are humans. And, and, and I think we need, you know, the, the as they say, the worst thing about law school is they, you know, the best thing about law school is they teach you to think like a lawyer. And the worst thing about law school, they teach you to think like a lawyer. You know, we use some we lose some human component and we talk. We use all these crazy, complicated words and concepts, and we're all business, but we're humans first. And I try to always remember that. Um, and lastly, I think the biggest thing is you got to love it. Mm-hmm. You have to love the practice of law. Um, if it's just work to you, you're screwed. If it's just a job, you're screwed. I know so many lawyers that are unhappy. They hate it. They hate the practice of law, but they stay with it because they don't know what else to do. Um, I love it. I live it. I breathe it every single day. I have good days. I have bad days. I have some days that just, I mean, I've had, you know, where I lose emotion, a deposition goes wrong. I'm, I, a, a case doesn't get settled for what I want, but then I have some great days. Um, but 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 the, my good days far exceed the bad days. And even the bad days, I appreciate that, that I'm a lawyer that I'm able to do the, this type of stuff. That's a great answer. I, I think those were excellent answers, which leads me to my next question. You talked about lawyers. We have a lot of pressure on our plate. Yeah. Um, there's the client expectations. We want to we want to win. We want to do good for the client. But one problem that lawyers often struggle with is having a good work life balance because our careers are so demanding. So, how do you maintain that balance? And what are some tips that you have for the lawyers and just people in in the audience who on how to achieve that balance? You know, it, it, I, I'm so glad you had this this question in here because. Um, it's it's important and it is something that's plaguing our profession. Um, I will say that, you know, I had an experience where, you know, when I was at Morgan Morgan for the four years, um, it was relentless nonstop. Um, it was, I don't care what time of day you got an email, a text, a call. Um, I don't care if it was Tuesday night at seven o'clock and dinner with your family. I don't care if it was 10 o'clock on a, on a Friday night. If you got an email or a text or a call from someone at the firm or a superior, you're expected to answer it or call back within 15 minutes. Mm-hmm. There was no respect for, for home life. There was just none. I mean, it, it was a motivating factor of why I left that firm. Um, I was, you know, I, because it wasn't my firm, I was a partner, but I mean, you know, we had 400 lawyers um, and I did well there. I mean, I, I mean, you know, there's a period of time last couple of years, I made the most money in my, in my life thing, but I was coming home and I need an outlet. My outlet was my wife and daughter and I'd come home. I mean, I'd be a raging asshole yelling and blowing off the handle, you know, nothing violent, but I would just get mad over, stupid things and yell and scream and cause them to cry. And, and it's because I didn't, I, it just, I didn't know how to deal with the stress, like the stress of the job. I can handle the stress of the job, 
Like that's, I'm built for that. I've been built for that for 20 something years, but the added artificial stress of artificial deadlines and goals, and you need to call me back right now. And why aren't you doing this? And all these barking orders. And, and it, it was unnecessary because our job is stressful enough. And I saw the deterioration it was taking on me and deterioration it was taking on my family and was like, I have to make a change. Like I, I can't, this can't continue in a positive way. Something's going to happen. Something's going to break. Um, and I chose to, to leave and I went to my partners, my former partners, partners now. And I did, I had my mea copa moment of I left you, but would you take me back? And, um, and I'm back to just practicing law and my happiness is through the roof. And, you know, it doesn't mean I still don't have bad days, but it's a different mentality because my partners don't say, where are you? I, I took off yesterday. I, I did parent teacher conferences by Zoom from my daughter's school in the morning. And I met a buddy at a cigar bar at one. And then I came back and had a work call at three. And then I did a happy hour with my buddies at five. And I didn't get an email from my partner saying, where were you? Why weren't were you there? What are you working on? They don't give a crap because they know I produce. And they know at the end of the end of the year, you know, when it comes time to do we have a profit and what everyone do for the year, I either earned my keeper, I didn't. And that's what it should be, right? I mean, you know, and I, I was getting situations where, where, you know, I was told I had to be in the office by 8.30 a.m., logged into the computer system with a, with a suit and tie on, you know? And, you know, I'm, I'm sitting here on a Superman T-shirt and flip-flops, and I'll go to work in warm-up pants now. Like, it doesn't matter what I'm wearing and what time I'm there if my creative process and the way I strategize cases is effective and I'm getting them done. I know if I'm in court, I'll wear a suit, but I'm not in court. Why do you care what I wear? Like you want me to be relaxed and comfortable and productive instead of stiff and scared. I'm going to get, you know, yelled at for wearing the wrong thing. Like I know how to act as a lawyer. I know how to be professional, but you know, give me some creativity. And, and it was starting to butt heads on little, I think, inconsequential arbitrary things um, but that builds on you. It just builds yeah. on your psyche. So um, what do I do now? I mean, listen, I, I, I'm, I got back into competitive tennis. Um, so I, I, have, I have a match today at five. I have a match tomorrow. I play tennis two, three days a week. Um, and that's a big outlet for me because I can, it gets out, it, it satisfies stress relief and health and, and it satisfies, you know, listen, you, you're the same way competitive we like to be competitive you know it's why we like sports it's like it's why we play basketball hard all we like to be competitive so it, it satisfies all those things in a couple hour period um so i do that um i love um uh, the the video game golden tea golf to the point of i bought i have golden tea in my basement i bought it in 2018 and i am and i'm plugged online i can play online tournaments i played my fraternity brothers ones in maryland and we can we can play and so i play golden tea golf um and then, um, you know, I like to hang out with my family and my friends. And, and obviously, I'm, I told you, I'm sitting here in my, you know, I my, uh, converted my home office and got rid of my desk. I converted it to a, um, to a bourbon cigar lounge. And, and I love nothing more than, you know, sitting there for an hour, hour and a half, smoking a cigar, having a bourbon, listening to music and just decompressing, you know. Um, that's what I do. Um, and my daughter's in dance. And I love taking her to dance. I love what she wants. She actually competed last night. Yeah, She's she won a recital, didn't she? She's in Pigeon Forge and she won her solo. So she got first place, um, you know, you know, so in an in in-person competition and it's huge and she's 10 and I enjoy that. Um, but I want to I want to switch to something or kind of continue this talk. 
about the work-life balance. So if you're, especially if you're listening to this and you're a lawyer, I mean, you, you know, th- this is, this is something that, that's, that's really, really important. I mean, right now, you know, lawyers are the, one of the professions that have the highest, if not the highest rate of suicide. Mm-hmm. Um, and since December in Kentucky, we've had six lawyers commit suicide. And, um, we had one, uh, um, a week ago, Wow! you know, um, had, had a family, um, you know, I'm the secretary of Kentucky Justice Association. Um, I was the immediate, I was treasurer last year. The guy that came in as treasurer, lawyer named Corey Fannin, fantastic guy from Pikeville, um, went to UK, great lawyer, great guy. Um, he killed himself on Christmas Eve. Oh my gosh. And, um, you know, and it's, it's a really hard thing. And I mean, I had a friend that back in 2011 is 2011. Um, he committed suicide. He's a lawyer. Um, and, and, and it's, it's, we have so much stress in this profession and lawyers aren't really taught how to release it. And depending on, and listen, you, and I run in a big circle. I run with lawyers across the country that, I mean, that, that, that are top notch in their field that make ridiculous money that can, that have their own planes that do things. And, and I'm not in that situation. I, I do well, but I'm not at that level, but you, you kind of get this little feeling of insecurity of keeping up with the Joneses and, you know, plan of trial lawyers. We're, you know, listen, we're, 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 we're a little, we're a rare breed, but we're, you know, we're odd people. We're strong mega type A's. Um, we're flamboyant. We're flashy. We got egos that can't fit anywhere in any room. And, you know, I'd be lying to say if I didn't have an ego and if I, you know, and I mean, I do, and I, and, but, but then you're around other big dogs and you feel, you realize I'm a small fish. Look at this guy's guys. He's got his own Cessna, like, you yeah. know, and he's got his house here and a house there. And, and it starts to make you feel insecure and then, and then you get the stress on you going, well, I got to do this and I got to do this. And then some lawyers cut corners, some lawyers steal fees from clients, some lawyers, you know, steal money from their partners and they get caught up and they get charged criminally and then they kill themselves or they just feel that they're not adequate and they're not doing enough. And then bills are piling on student loans and mortgages and houses and car payments, kids in private school. And then they just snap and, you know, or they, or substance abuse problems. I mean, listen, I mean, that's why we have what's called, you know, KELAP, the Kentucky Lawyers Assistance Program. I mean, we have lawyers who drink every day, who go to court drunk. We have lawyers that are doing drugs and illegal drugs and that are hooked on pain pills. And we've had lawyers that have done some really, really bad things um, because it's how they cope. And, you know, do I drink? Yes. Am I drunk? No. Right. Do you know, am I alcoholic? No, I, but I'll have a couple of drinks to relax and to calm my nerves. But I know, I know my limit, um, but some lawyers don't have that shut off valve and, and, and they, and they then look at the stress of having to respond to emotion, um, defense lawyers, treating them bad, um, you know, um, whatever it is to work up their case, financing a case. I mean, listen, you know, some of my case has been, um, you know, it, it, it's nothing for us to spend a hundred to 150,000 on one case. Wow. And if you lose, you lose that money. Right. And the bank, the bank doesn't forgive it. You forgive it to the client, but if you have a line of credit, you got to pay it back. Right. I mean, what if you have a bad year and now mm-hmm. what if you're in the hole and the bank calls your note, what are you going to do? Well, so, 
Yeah, I mean, so so the, you know, in, in my world, we have to finance the cases. So you're having to carry that debt for a year, two years, five years, whatever the case is, mm-hmm. and be able to sustain paying your staff, paying your overhead, you know, covering the interest payments on your line of credit, and hoping you're getting cases done and getting money in to not just pay it off and be in a hole, but to then have a profit. Like I don't work my whole year to just make my salary because if I just make my salary, you know, my house and and, and our, you know, our lifestyle, that, that doesn't sustain it. It's the bonus money. It's the profit money. Mm-hmm. And then some lawyers will have a bad year. I had a horrible 2019 was 2018 was the best year of my career. Um, I got a monster case done and, and it, it was, it was, it was something I was, I'm very blessed to have had that year. And then 2019 was the worst year financially I've had in 15 years. Mm. And I, 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 I had a, a huge, like make you vomit if you knew how much I'd pay the IRS in 2019. And, and it was a down year because I, I was my first full year after, after joining my new firm. Um, and it was just one of those years, you know, it just, I'm starting a new business in my mind and, and it just, you know, we, we did fine, but we, you know, what didn't have a big year and, and I had a down year. Um, and it was stressful for me. 19 was a really bad year for me emotionally and mentally because my wife doesn't work. We have our daughter in private school and, and, and it's like, you know, I, I was paying for stuff, but I was racking up debt, um, because it's just, we, it's an ebb and flow business. And if you don't learn how to manage the down years, um, then you'll you'll squander the good years. You'll have more down years than 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 good because you'll be in too much debt. You won't be able to manage it right. So my advice: get a good CPA, get a good financial advisor. Um, you know, have some peers in your line of business that that don't have a filter that will share their experiences with you. Because um, a couple of friends that do what I do that you know have had that are known nationally. And when I started kind of venting to them about how bad 19 was for me, they opened up and said, you know, they told me about a bad year they had and that they were, you know, they were strapped for cash and weren't even taking a salary and had racked up credit card debt and were living off their line of credit. And it kind of made me realize I'm not in this alone. Mm-hmm. I think most lawyers feel that we're in this, they're in this alone and they're not, but you got to have that group, core group of friends that, that you can really peel back the layers and peel, you know, look under the hood and really share your, you know, share the experiences. I think that too many lawyers, not lawyer, I think people in general, it's to me, it's a, they have a, there's a taboo about talking about money. There's a taboo about talking about what people make and about what debt people have and what, and, and I don't have a filter. I, I tell people all the time how much we made one year and how much I lost one year and how much I had in credit card debt and how much, you know, and you know, get my house paid off or what do I have on my mortgage? And and I think it's healthy and it's not meant to brag or anything else. Or, but I, I think to, to understand people are in different financial situations and we've all been there, but some lawyers are really don't like to talk about it. And I'm not one of those people. And I found a group of people, some that I can talk to about it. It's helped. What else has helped? Talking to people, having someone close that's not in your line of work. Um, Absolutely, a, a good a good guy that I, I've vented to for years. Um, you mentioned it's Chris Drucker. I mean, Chris and I are fraternity brothers. He went to high school near me, and I'm still in touch with him. He's not a lawyer. Chris is someone that I really have been able to vent to. We've been able to talk about ups and downs of our jobs and our career path. Um, and, and there's another guy named Brad Zapp who, who I went to high school with and grew up with. He's in the financial field. He's a venture capital guy now, but he used to be my financial advisor, but he's been my best friend since fourth grade. Um, 
I can vent and just, you know, be and, and, and just be blunt with him about stuff and counsel about stuff. So I think you need a couple of people outside of your profession just to talk to yeah. um, because it's a lot to carry. Well, sometimes Rodney's my vent. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Because I, I think you hit the nail on the head there. And I think, you know, whether you're a lawyer or a teacher or an accountant or whatever, um, a lot of people's jobs are more stressful now than what they were several years ago. And if like, if I came home and let's say I had a wife and kids and it was a stressful environment and stuff, I would just like, be like, I need a break. That's why I go to the gym, play softball. Luckily Rodney doesn't complain too much. (laughs) I think the thing with lawyers um, that you mentioned is we are perfectionists and a lot of lawyers want to keep up with the Joneses. And I think too, a lot of people, when you hear lawyer, you automatically think someone who's making a ton of money, a success, a quote, Superman or Superwoman. And if there's a setback or a failure, a lawyer really doesn't want to admit that. And I think a lawyer needs to be able to, anybody needs to be able to admit when they need help or they need to vent, because if you don't, it just bottles up. And that's why you were mentioning the problem with a lot of Kentucky lawyers and lawyers in general with substance abuse problems and stuff, because that's what they go to, to get their, their relief so yeah for sure can we take a short break sure perfect we'll take a break and be back with jay in just a second so we're back on the show with my friend jay vaughn and we're talking about why we love being a lawyer and some of the good things about the law and the bad things of law as i mentioned earlier jay is a partner at the Hindi Johnson Vaughn Emory Law Firm in Louisville, and the firm's website is www.justicestartshere.com. So, Jay, we've talked a lot about um, your practice as a personal personal injury lawyer, and you've handled a wide variety of things. What advice would you give to people on what they should do following a personal injury matter? Because a lot of times, people can do things that can really affect the case before the lawyer even gets involved. You know, that's that's a great question. Um, if and there's different types of personal injury, but let's say the most common you're in some type of you know car wreck. Um, if you know, if it involves a car, you get hit with it by another car or something like that. I mean, obviously, if if you're able, you know, um, call 911. I mean, that's the first thing you should do. Call 911 um, to, to get them to respond. Um you know, if you're not, if you, if you're hurt and, 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 and are not sure if you're hurt, stay in the car until police get there. And if they need to call an ambulance, an ambulance, you know, don't get out unless you ne- absolutely need to. Um, you know, if you are able to get out or if you have a passenger with you, that's able to get out safely. Um, make sure you're not in the way of other cars coming by on the road and stuff is just document what you see, you know, take, you know, just take your cell phone and take some photos of the damage of the license plates of the cars um, you know, even some video uh, of the damage, um, you know, if the other driver has, is able to communicate, you know, um, get, you know, get a copy of their license and insurance card, just some basic stuff like that is the initial thing. Um, but most importantly is, I mean, if you're, you know, some people always just say, oh, I'm fine. I'm fine. But I mean, if you're hurt, if you, even if you just feel discomfort or off, go to the hospital. I mean, there's no, go to the hospital, get, get seen, Within a couple of days, you know, go see your family doctor or if you have an orthopedic, but go see, go see someone. Um, and if, if the pain's lingering, um, you know, medical treatments first, but then, you know, con- contact a lawyer in, in your area just to find out what your rights are. And if it's something that's worth pursuing or not, too many people wait too long. 
Um, they don't, they, they, they think that the pain's going to go away and they don't go treat. And, and, and that's the biggest thing is they just don't go to the doctor. Um, you know, and I think that that's important. If it's a, a if it involves a, a semi, you know, if you get hit by a semi or a loved one, um, I mean, you know, God forbid, you know, someone loses their life, but if it's a serious injury, because semis are big and they cause a lot of damage, um, that's a different thing. I mean, that's something that you really need an attorney or your family needs an attorney literally right away. Here's why. If it involves a semi crash, the semi companies, truck companies, um, will usually the first, if the driver, the truck driver is able to do so, usually the first call they make isn't 911. It's usually um, the, the, uh, their dispatcher or the safety, safety department of the truck company. And then seconds, usually 911. They report to their, their train to call the company first. And then they get in touch with the insurance company who then, if it's a serious crash, most insurance companies will have in every region of states will have what's called a rapid response team. They'll have a defense lawyer on call, accident reconstructionist on call, a mechanic on call, and a photographer on call. And within hours of a crash, I mean, I can't tell you any cases, within hours of you know, where my client's loved one was killed, of a fatal crash, there's a defense lawyer and a defense expert on the scene talking to the police while the crash is being initially investigated. Wow. And it can be it can be weeks or months till that family calls a lawyer. And when the evidence is gone, it's gone. And then you have to fight to get the evidence from the truck company that they collected at the scene while your loved one is there in the car or while you're getting taken away in the ambulance. So the sooner you're able or your family's able to contact a lawyer, uh, if it involves a semi, the better, because there are tons of evidence there, not just seen evidence, but evidence on the truck. Um, you know, all that you hear about black boxes, trucks will have what's called an electronic control module that can be downloaded. Well, if it's not downloaded in a certain time and it puts a truck on the road, that gets overwritten. Um, and there's certain data in the cloud based on certain computer systems these trucks have. They're called telematic systems. Um, and, and witnesses and, and debris. And there's all kinds of things that just go away um, the longer you take and longer you wait. So that, that's the biggest thing. Um, if it's a, you know, a premises case that we call like a slip and fall or trip and fall at a store or a business or a parking lot. Um, again, if you're able and depend on serious severity of your injury, um, but either at the moment or the next day, um, you know, try to get a picture of what caused you to fall. Uh, if it's a hole in a parking lot or a, or a store mat or a pallet sticking out or whatever it may be, somehow document that because the stores just don't do a good job. I mean, those employees are making seven, eight bucks an hour. They're, you know, they don't really care about documenting the scene for you. You got to do that yourself. Um, but because there's a time limit in every state on how long you have to bring a certain type of case, um, you know, if you have a serious injury uh, or uh, obviously, you know, catastrophic injury or someone was killed, the sooner you call a lawyer, the better, better know your rights. And again, since since I'm in this field for truck, you know, for truck crashes, um, I, I really think you're you're the best you can do is if there's a truck crash involving, you know, a friend or a family or someone to put them in touch with a lawyer who's certified in truck accident law. Like I said, there's only about 40, 43 of us in the country right now. And I mean, it's it's, you know, we're the lawyers that truly say we can specialize in it. Right. And I mentioned earlier, the website for Jay's law firm is justicestartshere.com, and he's based in Louisville, but he can help you in the Louisville area, or if it's a truck case, I mean, it's national too. So that's how you can get in touch with him. So Jay, our theme this month on the show is love your lawyer month, but a lot of people don't like lawyers. Yep. Why do you love being a lawyer and why should people love their lawyer? 
you know, it's funny. I mean, there's always lawyer jokes everywhere, right? Um, and, but, I mean, you know, your lawyer is, has taken the time and he or she is working on your case to do the best they can for you, whether it's a criminal case or a family law case or an injury case. Um, and it's, it's a hard job. And people always complain that, you know, the case is taking too long. Well, guess what? Every case takes too long. Um, it's just the way our system is. Um, you know, cases can take months. Cases can take years. And it's not because your lawyer is not working on your case. Um, but there's a lot of things that go on behind the scene with delays and, and deadlines and, 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 you know, getting a trial date from a judge. If I went in right now to ask for a trial date, I mean, there aren't any trials right now in Kentucky with COVID. They start back, I think, May 1st. But if I want to get a trial date now, I'd probably get it sometime in 2022. I'm not going to get a trial date in a month. It doesn't work that way. Usually you're 10 to 18 months out of when you'll get a date in most courts. Um, and then if it's a criminal case, criminal cases take priority over civil cases, so injury cases. So I could have a civil case, an injury case set for trial, but if there's a criminal case and the criminal defendant doesn't want to accept the plea deal and wants to go to trial, I get bumped. So your case will get bumped. Um, so there's a lot of things that just people don't understand um, and how long it takes to get things done. Just, I mean, if you have a case where you got five lawyers involved, I mean, just just you should, you know, you should be on the phone one time or, or see the email exchange of five law firms trying to coordinate one day that they're, that everyone's available on the same day at the same time to take someone's testimony. I mean, it's like, an, it's like, it's, you know, it's like, you know, an act of Congress to get to happen. It's just, mm-hmm. it, 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 it's, it's the wheels of justice move slow. Um, so, you know, if, if you have a concern, you know, get a call with your lawyer, get a meeting, get a Zoom. And if you, I'm sure if, you, if you're patient with them, they'll tell you what's going on. But I mean, you know, your lawyer's working hard, doing the best they can. It's just, it's just, a, it's a hard job. And again, it's your only case, but it's not your lawyer's only case. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I mean, some lawyers have a couple hundred cases. Some, you know, I keep a small case lawyer. I think I have 25 cases right now, but I have 25 clients that all want their case moving. So you, you only do so much. And so, and so much of time and to keep a good little work-life balance. Remember, you know, your lawyer has a life. They're a human. They have a family, you know, that you got to give them a little breathing room. Right. Good answer. So uh, what's your advice to someone who's considering being a lawyer? You know, um, it, it can be a very fulfilling profession, but it can be a very stressful profession. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, my mentor always told me um, that his mentor told him, um, that, you know, the law is a jealous mistress. I mean, you know, you, 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 there, there's no such thing. And it takes a while as a lawyer to learn this. There's no such thing as ever being caught up. I mean, uh, there's, it's impossible mm-hmm. unless you have no cases. There's always something to be done, mm-hmm. but you accepting the fact that it's okay. If I leave right now, it's okay. I'll come back tomorrow and get work done. Um, so understanding that, um, you know, and some advice, if you're considering being a lawyer, tr- try to, you know, try to get a job at, as a, as a runner at a law firm, you know, in the type of law you think you want to do and just be a runner. And if you're getting mail and getting coffee and stuff, that's fine. But maybe they'll, they'll let you sit in on meetings and learn about the law and go to court with them and, and see what actually happens behind the scenes. Um, you know, and that's what, that's what did it for me was I actually, you know, I saw how the sausage is made and I, and I, and I thought it was good. So, you know, I think that's important. Um, and then getting, um, finding someone to, to really have as a good mentor to teach you along the way or, Absolutely. It, you know, and, and, and to get a connection with someone, 
especially when you become a young lawyer, have someone that you can call and say, Hey, you know, do you, you know, do you mind helping me with this and, and, and walking me through it? And you find the right lawyer that does it without any expectation of getting paid for it. And they just do it because they want you to be better. That's, that's the advice I give. Yeah. You know, uh, um, it's interesting. I agree with that a hundred percent. Um, I was fortunate like you where I was able to intern. Well, I, I did. I started as a runner at a law firm in Paducah while I was at Murray state. And I kind of learned what goes on at a law firm. I learned to do title searches and all that experience. And that's how I ended up being a real estate lawyer. But I think the importance of having a mentor is, is critical because you've had mentors. I've had mentors and I don't care whether you're a lawyer or a, an accountant or whatever your job is, you need a mentor. Um, even outside of your job, you need a mentor in your life, whether it's your mom or your dad or a grandparent or a friend. But I just think that's so important because, and you mentioned it earlier, if you're a lawyer and you think you know it all, you're, you're in trouble because you learn every day. You're always having to grow and continue. And I just think that's so important. I think another thing I tell people who want to be lawyers I think if I had to do it again, I wouldn't have done engineering. I enjoyed, I did it because I'm like, well, if I don't get into law school, I want to have something to fall back on. And it helps me like with my understanding surveying and environmental remediation, things like that. But I think lawyers, first off, need to be good speakers like what you did with the, the communications. I think they need to understand marketing and I think they need to understand business. So I'm like, even if you want to do political science as your major, at least maybe consider business as a minor or marketing because you need to understand how business operates. Cause when you're a lawyer, you're operating a business. You need you to know, understand finance. I tell you that that's, it's an excellent point because on, on a couple grounds, number one, if you're thinking about going to law school and you're in college, do not, major or minor in pre-law you're wasting your time and i think do not major in political science because it it's it's unless you're going into government or something it just it doesn't apply it just it just doesn't apply to what we do um you know and pre-law doesn't help you because you're going to have to go through all that stuff in law school in a more intense level i i, I think the best thing happened to me is switching communications because mm -hmm. You know, big, people's biggest fear is public speaking. And I mean, I love it. I mean, I, I gave speeches in high school and I love getting in front of people and talking. And it's a skill that some lawyers don't have. And some lawyers don't like going to court. And that's where I thrive is in front of a jury, in front of a judge, arguing my case, showing evidence, exposing an expert, you know, having a witness tell their story. I mean, it's it, it's it's a huge, huge skill that's transferable, whether you make it law or not, learning to speak in front of people will just give you so much of an advantage in all types of, of, of professions. Um, it, but the other is, you know, one thing I'm not good at is probably business, like business stuff. I, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not great at, um, and, and I wish I was better at that stuff. So I think that's a good thing. And understanding marketing is, is really important. So that's kind of where I would do is something with a communication with a minor in business where you get exposure to advertising and marketing and learning some of those skills. Um, you know, it's something that, that you know, that, that I, I just switched my major communications. I didn't have a minor, probably show minor in business. And that's, you know, looking back, that's probably something I should have done. Yeah. And I even tell people too, if you're going to law school, a lot of law schools offer that joint law, law MBA option. And I'm like, 
if I was doing that, that's what I would do. Luckily, when I went to my LLM at Miami, that helped a lot with business. But I just think the more well-rounded person you can be, it just opens so many doors for you, whether you want to be in a, a lawyer or in business or just being a more well-rounded lawyer. Because like the stuff you're dealing with, you deal with something different every day and yeah. you have to learn about it. I mean, you're almost qualified to be a, a, dirt, a, a doctor probably with all the medical stuff you've had to pick up. It's funny. It, it's I had this discussion with a really good buddy of mine is a lawyer in Texas. He's a fantastic trial lawyer. And he and I were talking last year about we're on the phone talking about some stuff. And I said, you know, it's it's it's, it's crazy. I mean, you know, if you're a doctor and you're an orthopedic surgeon and a client has a heart issue, you send to a cardiologist, right? And if you're an ER doc, you don't have to worry about, you know, ear, nose, and throat because there's an ENT. And you have anesthesiologists. So, you know, doctors can send them to different specialists in that field and they don't have to know orthopedics and know neurology and know they just stick in their lane. Well, as, as a lawyer, yeah, do we have our areas where you can be a criminal lawyer and you can be a business lawyer, you can be a real estate lawyer, you can be an injury lawyer? Sure. But in my profession, you know, if you're a doctor, you don't have to know accounting, you don't have to know biomechanics. You don't have to know anatomy or you don't have to know um, uh, accident reconstruction. In my field as an injury lawyer, I mean, you know, I have to use, hire and cross-examine accident reconstructionists, biomechanical engineers, epidemiologists, um, you know, um, uh, neurologists, neuropsychiatrists, orthopedic surgeons, neurosurgeons, um, accountants, uh, life care planners. I mean, I can go on. I can go on and on and on, and I have to be a mini expert in all these different fields because they're giving opinions in the case. And if I don't know biomechanics and I don't know delta V and I don't know, you know, and I don't know things about brain injury and, and the and the temporal lobe and and you know encephalomalacia and, and 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 I can't look at an MRI film and see brain damage and look it, it, like if there's things going on. I have to know it. If I'm dealing with a neuropsychologist, I got to be able to go through psychological tests and what the norms are and what the data says and what this peer review article says and be able to read peer review literature and talk about it intelligently. I mean, it, 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 it's, it, it adds to the stress of what we do because I have to be an expert in stuff that I didn't go to school for. Mm-hmm. And most lawyers don't really realize that. But like, I, I mean, you know, I mean, I'm sitting there and if, 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 if I have a case and you're the defense lawyer and you hire a neurosurgeon from Miami, I got to be able to take that guy's testimony for a couple hours and be able to talk neurosurgery. You, I mean, that's terrifying. Yeah. It's a lot. It's a lot going on. So one thing about being a lawyer too, is like you said, you told, um, you said you wouldn't encourage someone to do pre-law or political science. You can do any major in college and take the LSAT and be a lawyer. Absolutely. And so I kind of agree with you too. And that's why I, my major, I didn't do political science. Cause I'm like, I think I want to be a lawyer here, but if I don't get into law school, because I mean, it's not an easy thing to get into. Mm-hmm. I want to have something to fall back on. But um, the bottom line is, hey, if someone is listening to this and they have questions about uh, going to law school or a kid that wants to be a lawyer, you can reach out to me, reach out to Jay. Um, because the thing about it is you've got to talk to someone who's in it to kind of get the real scoop as to what's going on. So I, agree. I always love that question. All right. Final question before we get to our living the dream pop culture questions. During your career, you've seen a lot of change in the law and the world in general. And with experience comes wisdom. What would the lawyer Jay Vaughn of 2021 tell the Jay Vaughn that was at Murray State 
the Javon that was in law school at Northern Kentucky and the Javon of a few years ago? You know, I'll, I'll go in reverse order. Um, what would I tell myself a few years ago? I mean, it was, you know, a few years ago in my mind is I'm not at my current firm that, you know, I'm not at Hendy Johnson Von Emery. I'm, I'm at my previous firm um, where I was having that struggle with the work-life balance, right? I was under a lot of stress and, and, and um, I would, I would say that um, I tell myself, you know, you, you'll, you're going to be okay. You'll be out of this soon. Um, your work life is more important than money. And, and um, it's something I finally came to peace with, but in the, in the middle, in the midst of that turmoil, um, you know, I, I was, uh, you know, I, I don't think I, I don't know if I was depressed, but I was stressed out of my gourd and I was being really unhealthy. Um, and again, I told you, I was, you know, just getting blown up at home and, and uh, you know, it, and you, again, it's, it's, you know, I, I kind of had the, I, I had blind, I, not blind, but I, I guess I wasn't seeing the forest for the trees. And I would tell myself, Hey, you're going to be out of this soon. You're going to be where you belong. Um, probably a place you shouldn't have left in the first place, but they're going to welcome you back. It's going to be okay. And you're going to be happier. Um, so that's what I tell myself a couple of years ago. Um, what I tell the Jay in law school, um, you did it, you did it right. You're doing it right. Um, you, um, you know, um, uh, don't listen to your law school classmates. You know, when I started law school, um, you know, in that first, you know, in the first year of law school was, I mean, it was terrifying. Brutal. Um, I mean, it was just brutal. And, and to, to express that first semester was brutal. But I remember early on, you know, when you're sitting around the law library or before class or having to be with people and, you know, everyone kept talking about they want to, you know, get those summer internships with the big firms in Cincinnati, you know, and be in a big tower firm. And and I was literally the only person in my law school class. Like, what do you want to do? It's like, I want to be a personal injury lawyer. And I mean, the laughs I got, the people were all ho ha ha ha, you know, and I'm like, I was like, I know what I want to do. And I don't want to work and be, you know, you know, be miserable. You know, yeah, the, the pay would be double or triple what I'd be making starting out as an injury lawyer, but I don't want to be, you know, having to bill 1,800, 2,000 hours a year, have no life and, and, you know, hope to get nominated for partner sometime. Like I, I want to be a gunslinger, like let's go. And um, so I tell myself that you're, you're, you know, and I felt confident in law school, what I wanted to be, and I haven't wavered once, but I tell myself again, Hey, you're, you're doing it the right way and don't listen to what they're saying. And, and you're, in the end, they're going to look back and you're going to be, you know, the most successful person in your law school class. And, and uh, I believe to this day, I probably am. Wow. And then looking back at, at the Jay Montmurray state, what I tell myself, um, I probably tell myself to skip that state tournament and go see Dave Matthews and Tim Reynolds. Um, well, now I, you got I, YouTube though. Now you got YouTube. Yeah. But I mean, to say I was there at that college tour, um, every time I listen to that CD or, or the, uh, guess Apple music, you know, I listen to the, you know, the Tim, Tim, Dave and Tim at Luther college. Uh, that's the one they released. I just kick myself. I'm like, that could be me, me at love it. Um, I would say probably, um, go on spring break, go somewhere, you know, at least do one of the trips to South Padre or Daytona, uh, Panama yeah. city never did. Um, I was just too focused on, school and I took school really serious. I, I did party. I did do basketball, but like I took, like, I, I was like, listen, I, I'm here. 
And I knew I was on you and I, you know, we were on the four year plan. A lot of yeah. our friends weren't. And, and my, my dad my scholarship was, was for four years, Jay. I had to get out in four years. I was strictly on the four year plan. And my dad's <laughs> like, it's not four years, you better figure out how to pay for it. So, you know, but I could have done some things to relax a little bit more, I think. Um, and and the biggest regret I have, um, and it's not something I considered in college, but after college I did, and I'm kicking myself for not taking it serious. I probably my biggest regret from college um, is not doing study abroad. Yeah. I would tell people now going back, because we had the, an amazing exchange program. I mean, Murray State's program was ridiculous. I regret never, never even looking into doing study abroad. And that's something I would change. Yeah, because they had that um, thing in, was it Regensburg, Germany, I think. I had several friends that went over there. So that, that's the one that's the biggest thing I'd say is yeah. probably versus spring break or study abroad. I, I, I wish I did study abroad. You know, your answer to um, the, the Jay Vaughn at Murray State, similar to the advice I'd give to the Ben Wilson at Murray State. I don't know about going ab- abroad, but I probably should. I've only been out of the country once, but I like you. I was so focused on school. And I, I love to be an athletic director of Hart Hall and doing the sports. And I had my buddies at, you know, we had our Monday night wrestling, which we'll get to some wrestling here a little bit, but we, you know, we watched our wrestling and stuff, but I'm like, you know, I probably should have gone to a few more parties. I enjoyed going to the parties. Cause I mean, even though I didn't drink, I had a bit the best time at the parties cause I knew so many people. So that was the stuff I enjoyed the, the most, but I think I should have, you know, it's okay to, relax a little more and stuff like that. So who knows, maybe I'll be like my idol Rodney Dangerfield and go back to school one day when my nephews are able to go. Yep. Yep. (laughs) But uh, no, that was a great segment. Um, I'm really thrilled with the success that you've had as a lawyer. Um, As your friend, I'm great. uh, I'm excited to see it too. And uh, you've been a great guest on this show. And um, I'm very, very happy that you're, you're at a place that you're thrilled with and you're quote living your dream. Thank you. So before we get into the living the dream segment, I just want to remind you again, um, Jay's law firm website is justicestartshere.com. And he focuses on personal injury, especially with truck accidents. And um, But he's an overall good guy. And I know that you've enjoyed this discussion as much as Jay and I have. So well, Jay, now we're going to transition to the living the dream pop culture questions, where this is where I ask you some questions to see if you truly are living the dream. I'm ready. Fire, fire him at me. All right. First question. What's your favorite Seinfeld episode? I tell you, I was so glad you were asking me this because my favorite show of all time, Seinfeld. It's yes. just, um, and so, I, I, you know, I was thinking about, because there's so many good ones. Um, one that I think, it, you know, it, it's, it's, the, it's the number one rated episode of all time, you know, the contest. Yes. Um, <laughs> but I can't say that's my favorite. Like, that one's great, but that's, that's like an easy one. That's like, that, that's, that, that's literally, if you look, there's a, there's a site out there with like, you know, ranking all 169 or 70 episodes. And that's like number one. That's like easy. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, but for me, um, it, there, there's, there's three kind of in a tie, but for different reasons. Um, I, I, I love the car reservation. Yes. Because I, I I love, I love, I love the, when, when they're there and they don't have the car, he goes, but I made a reservation. Well, I know we don't have a car, but 
no, you're no. I mean, no, you, you know, anyone can take a reservation, take, 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 but it's about holding the reservation. And so that whole skit at the rental car company about the taking versus the holding, and he's going take, take, take. I'm like, I just, I, I, lo- I love it. I, I mean, I absolutely love it. Um, and so the car reservation because of that skit is just, it's, it's just classic for me. Um, the one I quote the most probably is anytime someone does something and like I'm around my buddies and they do something disappointing or something like hilarious, like I can't believe that's you. I always, I always say, I look at them and say, and you want to be my latex salesman. The Vandalay <laughs> Industries, I mean, technically it's called the boyfriend part one, but Vandalay Industries, he comes running out of the bathroom, his pants down on his ankles, he falls down. Yep. He gets up and Jerry looks at him and says, you want to be my latex salesman. Like, I just, every time I crack up, and I, that's probably the quote I've done the most, other than the, uh, in the parking garage, the Euromycetesis poisoning, like I yes. love that. Yep. But I was watching, and I'll, and I'll come home and I'll, because Hulu has um, on demand all Seinfeld. And I'll come back and I'll just watch them. I'll sit at home at night um, after work. And I watched one the other day with my wife and realized there's this one part and it's, it was a one-time character on Seinfeld. And I think if you would, if you haven't done this, I challenge you Ben, to do this, to go back and watch this episode and watch the absolute comedic genius of this one skit. And it was from the library. And so when Mr. Bookman. Oh, I love Mr. Bookman. Is in Jerry's apartment, (laughs) giving him the rant and riot act. And we'll just out of the blue pause and point the finger again. Okay. Funny guy. You think you can get over on me and he's doing this and he's in character and Bookman is on this just genius comedic rant and the wording and the mannerisms is as perfect as probably anything I've ever seen. And Jerry, you can see at one point, starts to almost break character and smirk because it's so brilliant. And and it's something I think it's lost to go back and watch what he did and how he delivered it to Jerry and didn't break character and made it sound like it was the most serious offense ever. And it was about the tropic of cancer. I mean, you know, that, that, I tell you that, that one I, I love. Um, and then again, I, again, every, and every time I play games and stuff, I always think of the moops, you know, yes. I'm Bubble Boy. It should be the Moors and the moops. So I don't have one favorite, but I, it, it's, it's usually the reservation or Vandalay Industries and then the segment with, with Mr. Bookman. I, I've used that line about the reservation many times. It's like, it's like, I am a, I'm Jerry Seinfeld. I'm, I ordered a medium size and she's a small pointing to a lane. It's like, well, we're all out of cars. I'm like, what do you mean we're out of cars? I had the reservation. The reservation is supposed to keep the car here. It's like, well, I'm sorry, sir, but we're out of cars. He's like, and like you said, but, uh, that was great. I think you'll find this funny. I, um, I did a speech to the Florida bar on, um, the rules of professional responsibility in tribute to Caddyshack because it was, uh, 40 years old. Well, I've worked on one for Seinfeld. I'm so thrilled to be doing that. And awesome. one of my friends, he was like, why are you doing over Seinfeld? I'm like, because one of the lines in there is, Jerry, it's not a lie if you believe it. Yes. 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 <laughs> and I'm like, of course that goes. I mean, you can't lie and all this stuff we were talking about. But man, Seinfeld's got a ton of things that apply to lawyers. You got Jackie Childs, who is a 
You're trying to put the bomb on. That's just the bomb on. That's just bomb on. (laughs) (laughs) And of course, you've had probably had clients like Kramer that don't listen to your instructions. And and of course, one of the great lines of Seinfeld is, he's like, if every instinct you have is wrong, the opposite would have to be right. (laughs) Oh my gosh, that was, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm short, balding, overweight. I'm unemployed. I live with my parents. It's like, hi. I'm Victoria. Hi. Yeah. <laughs> I'm Victoria. Hi. <laughs> so, all right. Good answer. So next question, what's your favorite John Belushi movie? Um, Blues Brothers. I mean, yep. just, it's just great. I love that movie. Just turned 40 years old as well. Jake and Elwood. Yep. All right. Next question. What's your favorite Chris Farley movie? It's no brainer. Tommy boy. I, it, one of the movies I've seen the most. I just, yep. it, I laugh every single time he and David Spade in that movie were, it was absolute comedic genius. Brothers don't shake hands. Brothers <laughs> got a hug. Yep. <laughs> oh, love that movie. Turned 25 years old this past year. All right. Next question. What's your favorite Rodney Dangerfield movie? It's Caddyshack. I mean, yeah. it's just, it, 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 and, and it, it's, it's Caddyshack. And, I, and yeah, I mean, come on. That movie's ridiculous. Oh, great movie. I love it. The part where he drives up, which that's like the perfect real estate lawyer movie. Cause he played the real estate developer and mm-hmm. most real estate developers are kind of like Rodney Dangerfield. They're kind of cocky and want to get stuff done right away and big personalities. And he was just perfect in that. All right, uh, what's a better college-themed movie, Animal House, Revenge of the Nerds, or Old School? You know, th- I was thinking about this, and as, as much as I love Animal House and John Belushi, I, I just – Old School, just uh, – Old School is just so good. It's just Frank the Tank, and it's just – yeah, it's just it's, – it, I don't know. It's, it's fantastic. Well, you're probably picking that because of the speech and a debate scene. Yes, exactly. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I love that movie. Uh, Luke Wilson actually played a real estate lawyer in that. So that kind of related to me. And they had all the parties, which back in the day when I was doing the events, I was like, I'm the guy from old school. I will say, though, Animal House was very important to me passing the bar exam, though, because I remember when I was taking the Kentucky bar. I guess it was the summer 2003 and we were taking it in Louisville and it was at the executive West hotel. And I remember that first. My wife was there with you taking it at that time. You didn't know it. And she took it in summer of three, 2003. Yeah. And I just remember the first day, the first, the, cause I had two sessions. One would be like in the morning and then you have a lunch break and then you come back in the afternoon. And that first day, the first half was just so tough. And I was like, man, I, you walk out and you feel like you failed. And, you know, of course, everyone wants to talk. Oh, what'd you do in this question? I'm like, I got to go home. So I went home, ate lunch because I lived by there. I needed some motivation for the second half. And so I literally put in Animal House and the scene where John Belushi gets in front of the fraternity after they've been kicked out. And he's like, they're like, war is over, man. Uh, Wormer dropped the big one. It's like, what? Over? Nothing's over until we decide it is. Was it over when the Germans bombed Pearl Harbor? Hell no. And they're like, Germans, forget it. He's rolling. And he's like, and it ain't over now. When the going gets tough, the tough get going. So I use that as my motivational speech awesome. to go back and finish that test that day. And I think I did pretty well. Awesome. Awesome. So, That's great. That's next great. question. Uh, what's your favorite Bill Murray movie? Um, I'm not, I, I would, I mean, typically it'd be Caddyshack, but I've already used that for, for Roddy Danger. Okay. People. 
So another one too. I'm I'm you know it's I love Stripes. I Uh, love Stripes. I think Stripes is such a good movie. Yes, but I I was also thinking about um, you know my buddy put on Twitter the other day, guy I went to high school with, a good friend of mine, just talking about how brilliant What About Bob was. So you know. Um, so I, that's my honorable mention, but I mean, Ghostbusters is great, but I love, I love Stripes. I just yeah. love Stripes. Stripes is actually filmed in Louisville in Fort Knox. I didn't know that. Yep. Great movie. All right. Next question. What are your three favorite movies, not starring John Belushi, Chris Farley, Rodney Dangerfield, or Bill Murray? You know, this is funny. This is, I, there, there, there are some differences here. Um, uh, for just, I love Dirty Rotten Scoundrels. Mm-hmm. I, I love that movie. Um, I love Ferris Bueller's Day Off. And I, oh, you know, yeah. I love good comedies, but the comedy probably I watched the most that I just love based upon your restrictions. Um, I'm a big Monty Python fan. So, oh yeah, Holy Grail and Life of Brian. I think we're just some of the best ever. It's, mm-hmm. These are more than three, um, but I can't help it. And then, then I have, and then in the action genre, um, it's Bloodsport and Die Hard. I just, those are two movies like I can watch over and over and over and over. I have a friend, uh, he does a lot of the wrestling podcasts with me and like his Christmas tradition is watching Die Hard. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I've probably seen Bloodsport the most of any movie. Yeah. <laughs> Jean-Claude. <laughs> Good answer. So, um, all right, next question. Since we're both lawyers, what's the better lawyer-based TV show? L.A. Law, Matlock, Perry Mason, Boston Legal with William Shatner, or suits with Harvey Specter. I'm a Boston legal guy. I love it. I love it. I mean, I, I just, you know, I, I, I just, I just am. And, uh, um, you know, the, just the, I don't know, the, the sarcasm and the, the, the writing on it. Um, you know, it just, it's, it's just so good. I loved William Shatner as Denny Crane. I mean, it was just amazing, but James Spader was so awesome in that oh, movie or in that show. Yeah. I mean, it was just great. Brilliant. He was brilliant in that show. And of course, that show too was on when we were in law school and, you know, starting our careers young. And so that was pretty cool. So, oh, that's a great answer. I love that. All right. Uh, next question. What are your uh, three favorite rock bands? Um, a true rock. Um, my, my favorite band of all time is Black Crows. Oh um, gosh, that's a great answer. They have a new song that come came out. It's called um, "Gosh, I forgot the name of it." Um, anyway, they're a great band. Oh, great and band. I, I mean, I've seen them in concert multiple times. I've been front row. I was supposed to see them last June or July in, uh, in Riverbend, Cincinnati, but with COVID, it got canceled. Yeah, curious, um, curious mess is that song I was thinking of. I just, I just, I just love, I love Chris Robinson. I just think he's great. They've been, and yeah. I, I listened. I actually listened the morning. It was live on Howard Stern when he announced, you know, we have a big announcement here, music and people getting back together. And it was Chris and Rich Robinson. I listened to the interview all the way up to Cincinnati. I was going up there for work. And uh, I just, I just love Black Rose. I've seen him in concert. I've seen him at small venues and I just love him. Great um, answer. I'm a, I'm a, um, you know, I'm a, um, but I, I'm a hard, I'm, I'm, and I'd say I love Dave, but I'm a hard rock guy. I mean, I'm, I'm a heavy metal guy. So I'm really, um, you know, uh, I love Pantera. I love, I love Rage Against the Machine. I love Tool. I saw Tool in concert, you know, a little over a year ago, and they were ridiculous. Um, you know, so I'm, I'm into, I'm, you know, that, that's the stuff I'm into. Wow, 
Well, the thing about those type of bands too, it just gives you that energy and rush. So when you're playing basketball or whatever, you're working on a case, you get that energy and motivation. So well, I had a, I was my, my, you know, when I played high school basketball, I had a, like a pregame, you know, mixtape, right? That's what we had mm-hmm. to do back then. And the first song I always had was Walk by Pantera. And that like got me raged and got me going. Oh, yeah. That's what motivates me. Yeah. Yeah. Well, those good answers there. Our first Pantera answer on the rock bands. There we and go. Cool, really. And I, and I think, listen, and I think you look at Pantera and I, th- I think you have the greatest heavy metal guitarist of all time, Don Bag Daryl. And I think you have the greatest heavy metal drummer of all time, and Vinnie Paul. And Vinnie Paul passed away a couple of years ago. Um, yeah. And, I, and you know, he was, he, you know, was with the band Hell Yeah. And then he, then he passed away. I, I think that was just ridiculously good. And of course, you know, Don Bag Daryl died. That, that crazy fan in Dallas came up and, and yeah. killed him on stage. Um, and then Tool. I mean, listen, they hadn't they hadn't released an album or toured in what twelve or fourteen years and and you know they 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 did a tour in 2019 and it was pretty much I mean the only opportunity in my lifetime to see them in concert. And mm-hmm. um, you know, I, I think Maynard's ridiculous, but if you watch Tool in concert, it's literally three individual concerts going on one time with the lead guitarist and the bassist and the drummer of how they just go off on these tangents. Um, and I'm, a, you know, and, and so I'm a, I'm a big tool fan. And then I, I love Raging with Machine and, 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 I, and I've always stayed active and followed Tom Morello. And he mm-hmm. was on Howard Stern the other day. And, and, you know, he's doing some great stuff on Sirius and, and Tom Morello is just as talented as it comes. So I, I just, you know, those, those bands just get me going. Yeah. Good answers. All right. So uh, who are uh, your three favorite other musical performers that aren't in the rock genre? Um, I was always a Tupac and Snoop fan. I don't listen to rap, but I, I did like Tupac. I did like Snoop. Um, well, the '90s yeah. rap was still good. Yeah, exactly. Um, I'm not really into. I'm, I don't do country. I don't really listen to anything else other than you know, other than rock and stuff. Um, you got Dave Matthews in there. Yeah, I'll throw Dave because I mean, yeah, he he's a little bit outside of rock, so I would put Dave in there. You know, uh, if if you allow me to 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 put in that category. Sure. I will say that while we were at Murray State, I mean, having the concerts at Lovett Auditorium were really awesome because that facility is like 2,500 people in there. So you could see them up close. It was just a great atmosphere. And of course, it was always packed. Mm -hmm. That was one of the fun things about being in the Student Government Association. I know who the acts were and get to help out and take tickets. I remember I helped. I don't know if you were there, if you were on that crew or not, but I was one of the people that helped. unload and then load carrot top when he came perform he had the big semi with all the oh, suitcases yeah. of his props and i was one of the volunteer student government stagehands that helped like carry all that crap in man that was a ridiculous concert i mean oh, that was great. so packed so packed great. i think i i think i was a ticket taker just because i wanted to be yeah. able to see everybody when they came in and i get to yeah. chat so yeah all right Next question. Uh, what are your three favorite TV shows, uh, past, present, or, well, it is past or present. Right. Um, Seinfeld, no doubt. Uh, yep. Number one. Uh, my second favorite is It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia. Uh-huh. And third is The Office. I mean, the, on comedy side, those three, just every time I can watch them, and It's Always Sunny is, I mean, if it wasn't for Seinfeld, It's Always Sunny would be first, because I just... I love the raunchiness of it. And I love, I think, Dan, <laughs> and I, and I, I really think it's the best work Dan DeVito's ever done in his career. Like it's, yeah. it's, it's just been ridiculous. Um, on the more serious vulgar side, I mean, um, Peaky Blinders is, mm. is my favorite on Netflix. 
Um, and then you got Sopranos, The Wire, and House of Cards, like the in oh, that yeah. in that. But Sopranos and The Wire, I went back and rewatched The Wire a couple of years ago. Um, and golly, I think the first season of The Wire might be the first season, the best first season of any any series ever. I mean, it, it's just so good and so intense. But yeah. Sopranos, I, I love. Yeah, great answers there. All right, next question. This is a huge, important question, so we'll, we'll have to chat about it for a little bit. Who are your favorite professional wrestlers? You know, it, it's it, it's funny. You probably saw on, on Facebook, I, I just finished both seasons of Dark Side of the Ring. Yeah, I did. And it brought back so many memories of me as a kid, you know, with a pillow, watching wrestling while slamming the pillow and <laughs> growing up watching, you know, Jerry Lawler and, and, and everyone, but, you know, and Bruno San Martino. And, but, I mean, if I really get to my true favorites, I was always a Ric Flair fan. I mean, yes. I mean, I was just – and coming up in where he came up through – my favorite tag team of all time was always Rock and Roll Express. I mean, yeah. they Ricky were Morton awesome. was on our show. Did you see that? No, I didn't. No, no. Yeah. Ricky Morton was a guest oh on our God. show. So, so you know, um, but watching Dark Side of the Ring remind me of how much I just was in awe of the Road Warriors and their size and their their aggressiveness. Um, and then, I, I mean, come on. I, I was always a Macho Man fan. Maybe because of Elizabeth, but I was always a Macho Man fan. I just was. I mean, she's from Kentucky. I know from Frankfurt. I know when I saw that episode, I didn't realize that. So, yeah. um, but, but it's probably Ric Flair first and rock and roll express second, because, and maybe that's because that was all, was always on TV, like in, in my local market. Um, and there's some other great ones, you know, Ricky Steamboat and, and Hacksaw Jim Duggan. But I mean, you know, I mean, that's probably where it is. Yeah. Good answers. Well, you know, when you and I were growing up, that's when you had, um, uh, the NWA WCW on uh, TBS. And so you'd see that a lot. And I know oh, my friends that grew up in Louisville, they were big Jerry Lawler fans because they would always have Tuesday night matches at the Louisville gardens. So I didn't get as much of that in Paducah. So it was all like WWF. Um, mm-hmm. I love the Von Eric's world-class. So that's how I got into it with them and the Freebirds and Bruiser Brody. But uh, yeah, I love wrestling. So and Louisville has always been a big area for wrestling talent too. Even though they used to have the OVW Ohio Valley wrestling mm-hmm. there. So, well, that's been, so that's been re reinvigorated. And a buddy of mine actually lives here in Louisville, Chad Miller kind of helps up until recently was like, re, was running Ohio Valley wrestling and stuff and like was bringing it back. Um, I remember as a kid at one of the conventions um, and it's probably somewhere in a, in a, folder at my parents house i hope but somewhere there's a picture with me sitting on king kong bundy's lap <laughs> i remember I how king big kong. that how big that guy was <laughs> yeah oh, it was great <laughs> all right so next question uh someone's coming in to louisville they're probably looking for a good place to eat what are some of your favorite louisville restaurants i consider myself a foodie i love food i always start to seek out restaurants where i go um I think Jeff Ruby's Steakhouse, I mean, it's from Cincinnati, but Jeff Ruby's has a place in Louisville. It's famous because he's, you know, he's the one that kicked O.J. Simpson out of his restaurant and banned him during the mm-hmm. Derby many years ago. I think Jeff Ruby's is as good a steakhouse as you'll find in the country, and it's just awesome. Um, there's a French place called uh, La Chasse um, uh, that I just think it does it so well, and and I love French food, and I just I, I think it's really, really good. Um, there's a Latin, uh, American fusion place called ceviche, 
um, with a really famous chef named Anthony Lamas um, and ceviche is just fantastic. Those three are probably my top, top three I go to. Yeah. All right. Next question. What's your favorite vacation spot um, or spots? Yeah, I'd say, um, I mean, I love going just to Mexico, you know, Cancun or somewhere, Cozumel. Um, love South Beach. I've had a lot of fun there. A lot of fun in South Beach. Um, probably my, the favorite city my wife and I go to, we love New Orleans. I mean, we just, it's because of the food, the drink, and people are so laid back. We love New Orleans, um, um, you know, in, in Vegas. But probably the best trip we've ever taken uh, which is something we did for a 10 year anniversary, which I hope to be able to, you know, with schedule and, and obviously it's not cheap to be able to afford it. Um, but, uh, we did a two week trip for a 10 year anniversary in, um, in France. We did a week in Paris oh, wow. and, a week, and a week in the Riviera down in Antibes. Um, but we fell in love with, with France. Uh, just, it was, uh, it was just an amazing, amazing trip. So that's the place I've been wanting to go back to the most. Yeah. Well, you know, hopefully when all, all the COVID stuff gets cleared up there, you can go back on your next one. Yeah. All right. Uh, next question. Uh, which favorite sports, what are your favorite sports teams? You know, this is a, I told you before we started, I mean, this is a tough question for me because, because of just my history. I mean, I, I, I live in Louisville now, but didn't really grow up in Louisville. So I'm not really a Louisville fan. Um, but back when Denny Crum was the coach and Kenny Payne was there, like, you know, so I don't root against Louisville, but I'm not really a Louisville fan. Um, right. I didn't grow up being a Kentucky fan. I grew up being an IU fan because my parents are both from Indiana. And I, and I mean, as a kid, I went to Bobby Nice basketball camp a couple of times. I went to Steve Alford's basketball camps a couple of times. Um, so I was always an IU fan. And I know you know the problem people have with Bobby Knight and his personality and being maybe even abusing players. But I love Bobby Knight. And when they got rid of Bobby Knight, and then they brought in at one point Kelvin Sampson. I stopped rooting for IU because I just did not like Kelvin Sampson. Um, so when Calipari came in, I, I really kind of converted a UK fan, which some of my friends just can't accept because in high school I wasn't a Kentucky fan, and they made fun of me all the time because Kentucky would always be in Indiana. But I'd say since Calipari became the coach, I, I, Kentucky's the only team I've really rooted for. Um, I'm a closet Bengals fan. I was a ticket holder for a while and got so – just disenfranchised by that franchise that I just don't root for the Bengals anymore. So I'm a football, a pro football fan. I do fantasy football. I love NFL, but I don't really have a team I root for. It's kind of sad. Yeah. Well, I'm kind of that way though, when it comes to football too, because I mean, I lived in Miami for so many years and I grew up liking the dolphins and the Cowboys. And, but sometimes I just kind of like to watch the games and just for the, for the heck of it. So I'm not, I'm not like a huge Kansas City Chief fan, but I like to watch Patrick Mahomes and that offense, or you know, I watch the Cowboys here or there. So um, let me ask you this: since we're talking sports and stuff, you know, you were a big time basketball player growing up. What do you think of this whole one and done thing and the rules? Because college basketball has changed a lot since you and I were in college. Yeah, you know, it. it I go back and forth. Um, I, I I like this excitement when a top college recruit comes in to play and you see the athleticism and you see just how much better they are than the existing college players. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, but I also see the, the, the downside of it when they leave after a year and they go to the NBA and they, they think they can make this money and they go and it turns out that they're just average or they're below average. And then now they're out 
and they're you know playing overseas maybe or something and they're not making much money and 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 they and they lost out in that education so that's an issue um you know it, it's it's that it's the 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 endless debate of well if they're 18 they're old enough to work i mean you know don't stop them from earning a living if if they can make it um i, I you know I wish they'd stay longer than a year. It would have been amazing to see LeBron play in college. It would have been amazing to see Kevin Garnett play in college mm-hmm. <laughs> and to see Kobe and, and other people play. It would have been great for, for the NCAA, but I also don't always agree with what the NCAA does and, and their strict rules. And I, I think that, you know, you I, I think you should be able to, with, with these players, with the money these schools make off these players, and to say that you can't have an agent early, to say that you can't get any type of pay and booster yeah. support. I mean, I mean, they are they're they're exploiting these college athletes for and they're making, you know, tens of millions of dollars in in incentives, these schools for having these tournaments and having a bowl or whatever it may be and, and TV rights and stuff. I think there should be, and I remember I I think I was in high school and wrote a paper about I think I think there should be or maybe in college, I think I wrote that. I think college athletes should be paid. I think there should be something there for it. Um, I think you should be able to declare with the NBA and the NFL and get an agent. If you don't get picked or don't get your draft spot, you should be able to return to college and not lose your amateur status. Like, I don't, what's the harm? Um, so I think there should be some stuff of that. But but I, I, the, the concern is the, 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 the students that leave thinking they're ready for the big time and they're not and they can't come back. Um, I think there should be a door at least give them one opportunity. If you leave, you can come back without any retribution. Yeah. I, I'm with you on the the stipend for the players because I mean, back in the day at Murray state, I mean, I would see that I had a lot of friends around the football team and, you know, those guys had to put in a lot of time and it's hard to graduate in four years. So I think they should at minimum get up in like a six year scholarship, but they didn't have time to work and have money for, you know, dates and uh, things like that. You and I could, if we, if we wanted to. So, we should see. I will say for Calipari, uh, he's done an amazing job at Kentucky. Um, the one and done system. I'm not a fan of it, but it kind of it is what it is right now. He he needs to recruit the best guys as much as he can because otherwise people get on him for not recruiting the best. And you know you want to have your glue guys too, but I just think they got to change the system. But uh, we'll see. Kentucky had a down year this year, and Oof. there's a lot of pressure <laughs> for them to be much better next year. Yes. So, all right, uh, we talked a little bit about this, but what are some of your favorite pro athletes? It's funny, you know, um, I, I, I came over the years to really appreciate and, 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 and be a fan of Michael Jordan. I didn't, I wasn't yep. always a Jordan fan because I always picked, yeah, I, again, I was not you fan of my friends are Kentucky fans. I was a Dominique Wilkins guy. I love oh, Dominique, Dominique, Dominique Wilkins. I love Neek. Neek was my guy. And all my friends were Jordan guys, right? Um, but, you know, watching that whole The Last Dance thing about Jordan, I mean, I appreciate it. And I think he's, you know, I, I think he's amazing. Um, in baseball, it's weird. Again, I grew up in Northern Kentucky, Cincinnati. I was never a Reds fan. Um, but I, I love the Cubs. And I was always a Ryan Sandberg and Andre Dawson fan. That's yeah. But but we got WGN. So I always saw exactly. the Cubs. Exactly. I mean, that's what I saw. Yeah. Um, and then basketball um, also. Um, it, it's funny. I remember um, – uh, I, I remember always watching videos and being enamored with Pistol Pete. And I, I just, I, I think Pistol Pete Maravich was one of the best basketball players ever, ever to play. And yeah. if he only had a three point line, I mean, it just, he'd be what Steph Curry's doing. And, and I appreciate Steph Curry and he's the best pure shooter I've ever seen. 
and it's awesome to watch him. Um, and then, you know, he said in football, like, you know, I, I grew up, my, my grandparents used to live in Florida. I mean, they're both deceased now, but I was a Dan Marino fan. I was a Dolphin fan. Yeah. I love Dan Marino. Um, but I've come to appreciate and really like, and I pulled for Brady this year. So, you know, but I was a Marino fan always. Yeah. Well, I, I, I watched the Pet Detective the other day. Actually, I actually watched it and it was <laughs> just awesome. Uh, I had to root for Tom Brady just because I'm going to root for a 43 year old trying to, to win it all since I'm also right. 43. All right. Um, let's see. Uh, two more questions here, but I think you're living the dream, Jay. Um, all right. If you could pick anyone to play you in a movie, who would you pick? Christopher Heavey, uh, uh, he, uh, he pronounces Heavey uh, or Heavey. He, he played uh, Tormund in, uh, he's the wildling, that leader in Game of Thrones. Oh, okay. He's the big Nordic with the big red beard, and he does like the Geico commercial now. I mean. Oh, that guy. Okay. That guy. Yeah, yeah, but he was in Game of Thrones, has the big, and all my friends will text pictures when my beard was longer. You know, they, they, they call it, they think I'm a wildling. A wildling. Yeah. So, yeah, yeah, probably him. All right. That's a good answer there. All right. Final question. We talked a lot about comedies and comedians in, on this episode. So who's your favorite stand-up comedian? It's, it's no, it, there's, it, it's one in, way above everyone else. George Carlin. Uh, oh, he's a good, I, I watched every stand-up he ever did. And I, I just, I just thought his delivery and how he got into jokes were just ridiculous um, you know, who, who after that kind of gets, uh, I, I'm a big Chris Rock fan, but there's a guy who, who uh, sadly OD'd, but um, Mitch Hedberg, I love Mitch Hedberg's um, one-liners and, and his, his, his really dry humor of how he'd get a joke and all of a sudden you'd realize how funny it was, but Carlin is just above and beyond, no, no comparison for me. Yeah, no, I mean, he's a legend. That's, that's a great answer right there. Well, Jay, I appreciate you coming on the show. Absolutely. You definitely are living the dream here. You've got a great law practice. Uh, I know you've got a, a great wife and daughter that you're very proud of, and you did excellent on the living the dream questions. And overall, a good guy, and I'm glad we were able to reconnect for the show. So I appreciate you taking the time to come on the show. Absolutely. I appreciate you having me, man. Thank you, and uh, Rodney, good seeing you again, too. Thanks. So, everyone, I've been living the dream with my friend Jay Vaughn. Jay is a partner at the law firm of Hindi, Johnson, Vaughn, and Emory in Louisville. And overall, good guy, great lawyer. And you can learn more about his practice at www.justicestartshere.com. So, Jay, thanks again for coming on the show. I really appreciate it. Yep. Thank you, Ben. And to the audience, hope you all enjoy the episode. And we'll see you guys next week. Have a great day. Thanks for listening to this episode. Find us online at benandrodney.com and follow us on Instagram at benwilsonmiami.